seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. The Savachi syndrome, I'm telling you, I'm. Holy shit, that was crazy. Wait for it. Thick and slick. <laughs> Alright, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of the Moto Aftermath Show, episode number 163. Just got done recording on this episode. Once again, we have back Coach Rob with me. Um, Justin and Cole could not make it. Uh, Cole was out riding. Justin, you know, it was his birthday last night. So you know how birthdays go when you get a little older here. Recovery time is a lot longer. Um, but anyway, Coach Rob stepped in here. Um, this was actually a show that we have been trying to do for probably about three weeks now. Uh, we were supposed to do this show on the first off week after Arlington 3. Um, we had uh, Coach Rob was uh, had some other obligations, so he couldn't come on that week. We were then going to do it the next week. I then realized about three days before that that was Easter. Uh, so we decided just to move it back. And uh, this is the date we landed on. So um, on tonight's show, like I said, me and Coach Rob, for the, about the first hour, we talk um, we talk about the race from Atlanta 1 there and kind of wrap stuff up with that. And then uh, we bring on a couple of coaches, riders from his, uh, from his riding team, uh, we have Everett Clark and Zayden Mason. Um, they are 85 and super mini riders. Um, they are pretty good on the national scale and some great kids. They're good interviews. Um, definitely uh, beyond their years. I know when I was their age, if someone would have called and asked me to be on some podcast, I would have not even known what to say. Um, so just goes to show how the uh, Complete Racing Solutions uh program that Rob's putting together helps these kids in all sorts of aspects and uh, helps you guys kind of get to know the stars of the future. You may not know their names right now. They may not be, uh, you know, the A-class winners right now, but these guys are definitely on the come up and at some point will be pro riders in the pro ranks. So uh, this just gives you a chance to kind of uh, know, get to know them before they make it to the pros and then when they do make it to the pros you can be like me like holy crap i talked to this kid when he was on super minis this is awesome now um but before we get started into that podcast here let me just uh thank our sponsors and go through some of the paperwork things so first off let's thank tlr coatings uh, again been with us since the beginning my own personal company i own there uh custom powder coating work cerakote work sandblasting vapor blasting we do all that kind of good stuff, so make sure to check us out, tlrcoatings.com. You can also look us up. Instagram's our main point of social media. I put all sorts of pictures and videos of our products on there, and I have a YouTube channel actually for that separately starting soon, so keep an eye out for that. I uh, also want to thank our other presenting sponsor for this year, Premier Custom Trailers. Do you need a trailer? commercial or residential premier custom trailers has what you need they work with the best manufacturers in the industry and specialize in all your trailer needs sales service parts or rentals they do it all 
PremierCustomTrailers.com, located five minutes south of Kalamazoo on US-131 in Schoolcraft, Michigan. They put the custom in customer service. All sorts of cool trailers from those guys. I will be picking one up here hopefully in the next couple months so we have it going through race season. Um, also on board with us, JT Cycle, helping us out with some of the prizes and stuff for the fantasy show. So make sure to look them up. They are a Husky Gas Gas Suzuki dealer, I want to say. Um, and also on board with us, the Dirt Bike Depot. Uh, new and gently worn gear from the pros that you can now pick up for discounted prices to to wear while you ride. Um, they have all sorts of stuff. Inventory is constantly changing. Uh, so make sure to check them out on social media. And they are online at thedirt-bikedepot.com. Uh, as always, if you want to help the show out, the best way to do it is just to like, subscribe, and comment. Uh, comment what you think about the interviews. Comment if you have any questions for Coach Rob about anything. He keeps an eye on them, and he will... Um, definitely get in there and answer the questions for you guys in the comments if you have anything and uh, sharing this podcast with your friends is awesome uh, that it that really helps us out a lot too and this is all stuff you guys can do that doesn't cost you a cent now if you want to donate some money or whatever um, there are Amazon I mean the easiest way for most people there's Amazon links in the description which you can click on it'll take you to Amazon you don't have to buy what it takes you to you can just then go through Amazon, fill your cart up, boom, buy it, and we get a small slice of that. Um, there's also merchandise and uh, T-shirts and everything on there that you can go through the different links and, and purchase if you want to uh, to become a patron. We have some different levels on Patreon, and uh, we give out some different stuff for that. Um, if you want to listen instead of watch on YouTube, especially since we don't do the video stuff right now because let's face it, after the technical difficulties I just had with the audio on this podcast, adding video to that is just mind-boggling, and especially since I've already had issues this year with the video. Uh, but uh, you can listen to us on pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that stuff. And then make sure to follow us on the uh, social, on all the major social media networks. Cole is running the Twitter and me and him are tag teaming the Instagram. The Facebook is we post on there somewhat. Uh, and yeah, there's all sorts of stuff. I'm starting to do some bike builds. So that kind of information is going up there along with, <clears throat> excuse me, along with all sorts of news and info about Supercross, Motocross, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and then make sure to listen to our fantasy Supercross podcast, especially if you're into that. We play on Paul Pumex Fantasy. Me and Cole do that show, and uh, that it usually comes out like the day before the race. Lots of episodes coming up this week. Obviously, we're in residency for Atlanta 1, um, so we have multiple shows coming up all week. We have the multiple fantasy shows coming up, so make sure to keep an eye out for all of that. And again... I'd like to apologize. The Zayden interview, which would be the second interview we do here towards the end of the show. Uh, we did have some technical difficulties. It was the box was throwing me in air and I don't know what was happening. So we were trying to get through it, but I don't know what happened. So if there's something screwed up, sorry, everyone, including Zayden. Uh, but hopefully it didn't. I don't know. I haven't listened to it yet. I just finished recording. Now I'm recording this. But anyway, let's get into the show. Me, Coach Rob, talking about Atlanta 1. Go. All right, everybody, and now, as promised here on the show with me this week, Coach Rob Beams is back. Coach, how are we doing today? 
hey, good evening, buddy. You uh, you have a decent week and enjoy this killer race we had last night. Uh, if by decent week you mean I am drowning in parts over here to powder coat, then yes, yes, I did have a decent week. Uh, <laughs> as in worked through most of practice yesterday. Yes, yes, I did that also. But hey, whatever, it's fine. We're uh, we're doing it, and we're we're out here just you know chasing chasing the dream, trying to put a uh, YZ two fifty F together. You know, so. Well, that sounds like fun. Is that the one that they get that you got back that they blew up? No, I. Uh, it's actually brand new. I got it in November, I think. Yeah, November. Oh, okay. I picked it up. It's a brand new twenty one. Um, but I rode it once for like a half an hour at the track at my house last year, uh, and then put it away. And it's my first brand new bike, so I didn't really want to thrash all of the stock parts on it. Um, so we did yeah. like new body work and seat cover and stuff like that to it. Um, I actually filmed that last weekend. And now I'm just waiting on the last couple parts because, like, those new Yamahas, they have, uh, you know how they have that extended seat that goes over, like, the gas tank cover? Um, well, yeah. finding a piece that is not the stock blue, um, at least for me, was a little bit tricky. And I ordered one out of someplace in Georgia. Like, I randomly found it in, like, a Google image search or something. And, like, my seat cover on there is gray. So I thought I was getting a gray one. It showed up as definitely black, not gray. Uh, so that was kind of a bummer, but I'm getting a carbon fiber skid plate and a carbon fiber, um, airbox cover from Lightspeed. Uh, so it kind of works out cause it'll just be like black airbox cover, black extended seat, and then the gray seat. So it'll, it'll be all right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose too much sleep over it, but yeah, I was really trying not to ride, even though it's been really nice here to ride. I was trying not to, cause I didn't want to screw up the stock plastics. Cause at some point I'll either sell the bike and want to put it back where it looks all stock and nice, or I'll want to like put it on the wall because it was my first brand new dirt bike and I'll put it all back stock (laughs) and put it on the wall. So so we pulled all that stuff off and then we changed like the rear spring and stuff too. Cause I'm a fat old guy and you know, I had to have a little heavier spring so I didn't get bucked off and uh, yeah, yeah, there we go. So, but that's pretty much done. We're just like waiting on the carbon fiber pieces and my handlebars are stuck in the LA ports as per everything else. So once I get all of, I mean, I'll ride without the bars, but the carbon fiber pieces are kind of the last thing I'm waiting on here. Plus it's been raining for three days now. So get that stuff in and then we'll start riding next week. So that'll be nice it'd be good to get back on the bike for sure oh yeah 100% i've been bombing the pit bike around the yard a little bit but it's it's not the same as the big bike so well i'm excited to uh to get on it really get that thing on the track and see what it can do but uh but we're not we're not here to talk about my riding season coming up here we're here to talk about atlanta 1 right now um so let's jump in this track was absolutely gigantic they're talking like two plus size of a normal supercross track i think they said they brought in like fourteen thousand yards of dirt which a normal supercross track is only about five ish um and man it was wild it was like minute 30 to minute 40 lap times depending upon when they were riding and who was riding and uh i don't know what did what did you think of the track have you ever seen anything like that no i mean it the way that they had it kind of branched out onto the, you know, the pavement itself. I mean, I, I don't think you could ask for a, a better race track that's essentially inside of another racetrack. Uh, we've all fallen in love with the Daytona. I mean, think about it to be able to say that you raced inside the Daytona, you know, the, the birth 
first place of speed and all that it represents is great. Now we get to add into that Atlanta. I, I like the trend of where it's going and I like the idea that they had this, you know, whether you want to, I've, I've heard several people call it, you know, they had free dirt, which was great. But think about all that dry dirt they were able to bring in, even though the weather went south pretty quick. You know, they were able to bring in that the, the, the dry dirt. So I thought the dynamics of the race, not only just the original layout, but the way that they were able to offset the, the constant drizzle all day long. I thought, I thought that was a fantastic track. I mean, you know, everybody's going to have the things they like and don't like about it. But as I always say, if you think you could build a better track, go for it. Go do it, you know. Um, there's a lot of variables to work with, but I thought the track was great. It had a lot of different options, um, different types of cornering. Obviously, the the slick stuff on top made the whoops a little bit different, and obviously the jumps and the timing of the jumps. But, you know, the thing that I liked most about it was it kept everybody on their toes, privateers and factory riders alike, because it was not a track that was going to become predictable. That's for darn sure. No, that was, it was definitely wild. And the rain was definitely another variable to it. Um, especially when you got into like those first two fifty heats, because you have to think those two fifty riders, the only time they'd seen the track that day was in qualifying and it was dry. It was, they got on there and off before it started raining. It didn't start raining till like midway through the first four fifty a practice. Um, so none of those guys had seen that track when it was wet. And I mean, it showed you, you have right off the bat, first lap, Justin Cooper just completely wadded it. And, uh, that yeah. was why that was a wild way to start. I mean, you just see that and you're like, oh shit, this championship's about to shake up. And then obviously you had McAdoo go down several times in his, and there was, <laughs> there was bodies everywhere. <laughs> there was bodies just everywhere yeah. in those 250 heats. Um, but it definitely shaped up for the main event. I would have been, I guess, a little more interested to see. I know that during main event times, they were the track was in pretty good shape. But I, I would have been a little more interested to see how it shaped up had we not had any rain. Because um, I didn't sure. feel like it raced super great. Like, it was okay. Um, but I still felt like the passing was kind of... Eh, there wasn't a lot of it. I don't think. I mean, there there was excitement because obviously people kept crashing. We saw that even through the mains, there was crashes. But I don't feel like there was as much passing on the rest of the track as what I kind of thought there might be with as big as it was. Um, but I don't think it was. I don't think it was terrible. But it just I I would have been interested to see it dry all day. I'll just put it that way. And I'm interested to see how the next two go if we don't get weather and it's dry. Um, cause that from my understanding, the layout's not going to change a whole lot because they put this down in such a way that they are going to do super cross and then monster jam, like four or five shows. And then flat track is like, I don't know, the week after that. So they're doing like a whole bunch of stuff. And the way they built the super cross track was they put the base down so that that way they could incorporate all these different things throughout their time period here. Um, and then not have to change the actual base of it, just what's on top of the base. So I think the layout will be similar all three. Yeah. I, you know, I'm certainly not a track builder, but you know what I would do? I haven't seen the weather forecast. I'm hoping it's going to be a dry race. Well, like you just articulated, well, if we saw the race when it was a little bit slick and, and obviously the dynamics changed quite a bit, you know, from practice all the way through the main events, go the other direction. Can you imagine what this track will look like if it does dry out? Even though it'll be the same layout, state jumps and everything else, 
it'll be a completely different race. Yep. And, you know, if I'm felled and I think the weather's going to be good, I wouldn't change a damn thing. I would leave it just the way it is. Because like you said, you will essentially have three races and three rounds with only having to change the track twice because um, this was just my observation. Did you notice how well Nate Thrasher and Seth Hamaker rode in those opening laps? You, know, you got to think about it. The bike, the, as you said, those guys hadn't seen the track in these conditions because when they went out for practice, it was dry. Do you notice these guys are the most recent graduates to come out of Loretta's? And I, I think it just goes to show when you look at the amateur races, doesn't matter which one you go to, Minios, Loretta's, an area regional, those guys have to run whatever the track offers. You know, you don't have a track, track crew that's going to go out there and put as much effort. When you get to Loretta's, you know, MX Sports, that track crew does a great job. Whenever it rains, you know, they push all the muck off. But it's still those guys are out there just skating on top of the top, on top of all that slick stuff until the track shapes up. You look at that opening heat with Seth Hamaker, comes out of turn number one, and you can tell he's on, you know, on ice or glass, if you will. Good throttle control, good balance. And I thought it was cool if you notice, not just because Nate won the main event, but if you watch him going through the first turn, again, his ability to adapt to a track that was pretty unpredictable. And I'm not throwing the factory guys in there, but think about it. They're so used to a perfectly groomed track during the week they go to a supercross race on Saturday night, perfectly groomed. I'm not going to go and get ugly on any particular person, but I think you can read in between the lines. There's a particular team out there that's their team manager. His riders don't go through the loops very well. So he goes and gets the whoops cut down throughout the day and into the main <laughs> event, even changing them. Yep. And now all of a sudden, you know, these factory teams, they don't get, they don't get a media day. They don't get uh, the media slash press day. They don't get that extra practice. Now, all of a sudden, you have a level playing field, and I think it's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm not naive. I realize Thrasher's on Star Yamaha and obviously Seth's on Pro Circuit. But what I'm saying is when you look at their background and how recently they came out of amateur ranks, it's interesting how they came to the surface. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens here when the track dries out in in I'm not trying to change the subject, but have you also noticed another theme um, in in both classes, but particularly in the 250 class, that 250 rider gets a start and it's the the race of his career. Styles Robertson led Daytona with what? A fantastic start. Yep. You know, Justin Cooper doesn't get a good start. You know, it's, it's amazing how when those, those rounds back to back, how dramatically different one got a good start had the race of his life. Yeah, and I'm not saying Cooper. It could be Styles Robertson, Jalik Swole. We may see this, you know, with with Thrasher. I mean, uh, I, the only example I can give you is look at Styles Robertson. He got the whole shot at Daytona, led for 90% of the race, but he hasn't had a top three performance since. Yep. Uh, Stout, you look at Jalik Swole. You know, you got that one third. I know it was the last round, but then look at him last night. I mean, not even in top you know, contention. Mm-hmm. And again, I know it's racing and stuff happens, but look at Coop, Justin Cooper in the heat race on the ground and comes all the way up to only losing the, the, the qualifier by half a second. Yeah. That's a completely different level of riding. Yep. But I just thought it was interesting how the l- recent Loretta's graduates did so well in that slimy stuff. Cause I, I firmly believe they're not spoiled. Like these factory guys are, they yeah. complain about everything and anything. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I won't lie. I, I was completely caught off guard with the whole Thrasher win. Um, sure. I, I mean, he you got He hasn't done anything. He's been ninth, tenth, no, nowhere near the front. No starts, no nothing. I mean, coming through LCQs, um, him and him and Fry have definitely been. Uh, I guess for lack of a better term, a letdown as far as the rookies coming in. I mean, you have you have Hamaker wins a race, Styles is on the podium and and leading Daytona, um, you know, and then you have Fry and Thrasher who are on arguably the best team in the pits for two fifties, you know, and they do absolutely nothing. And then all of a sudden he just comes out yesterday and just wire to wire leads it. Um, yeah, that was, that was a shock. I mean, he looked good even, even to the point of like on that last lap, he jumped that first set of whoops and then gets the second set after the tunnel jump and just skims the shit out of him. And everyone is like, Whoa, like even Ricky on the broadcast was like, I can't believe he just skimmed those whoops. Like (laughs) what are, what are you doing, dude? You've got a huge lead. Just cruise it in, man. Do not eat shit. Do not go down. Just cruise it in, get your first win and call it a day. Um, I mean, it was cool to see. It's always cool to see when one of these rookie kids or someone who you don't ever expect to win wins a race. Uh, but it did blow me back a little bit because I was just like, where where did this even come from? This kid has been literally nowhere. So, Yeah, not to beat a dead horse that everybody seems to be beating, but it always boils down to that start. You know, Jalik Swall is, is, is historically known to be a good starter. And look at the last couple of races. I mean, he got third, yes, but look at, any any race before that up to the third place he gets a good start and then he goes backwards mm-hmm. um and that now all of a sudden you see he doesn't get a good start and he pretty much goes even further backwards or pretty much stays the same just inside the top 10 the thing that i want the listeners to really stop and think about is when they when you look at those final results look at who's riding for what teams you know, I used to work with Styles Robertson, so I don't want the listeners to think I have a vendetta against him. I, I love him and his family both. They're great. But when you talk about Thrasher, when you talk, talk about um, uh, who's the other one that you mentioned? Thrasher. Uh, Fry. And, Fry. Uh, Alex Fry. Yeah, they're on, they're on Star Yamaha bikes, but you got to remember, this is their first foray racing against these pros where Styles and Jalik had outdoor nationals last year, they at least have an idea what kind of pace and aggression that these guys have. They get to train and practice on full factory, you know, super cross tracks that are well-maintained. Like I said, I, I like Styles as a person, but when I look at the level of disappointment, you know, let's look at it. Zach Osborne, that Husqvarna, that is a champion platform. Yep. And yet you're not seeing that bike where it should be. Um, I think Mitch Payton has done some work to get the bikes a little bit more competitive horsepower wise against the star Yamaha. And I think that shows, um, like you say, when you look at Seth, uh, his rookie year, I think it shows that he's doing a great job with it. Obviously McAdoo is not a rookie doing well shows that that PC power plant is coming a little bit closer. Um, but when you look at that rookie disappointment, I don't know. I, I have to give a little bit of, of credit to Fry and, you know, that the star Yamaha rookies only because I don't think that they've seen that level of intensity on a supercross track, the way that Jalik and Robertson got to see outdoors. Uh, you remember that first race that uh, AC went, went to and they interviewed him afterwards and he's like, everybody acts like you just slept with their girlfriend because they're trying to kill you every single lap <laughs> from start to finish. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean the you two know? the two fifty class is gnarly, and and not to get in a subject because it'll take us all night to talk about it. But you look at these kids that come up, and the we'll call them the privileged children that have the factory bikes from you know eighty fives on, and then they go out and they race Loretta's and these local races or whatever the 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 big national amateur races, and. I mean, not for nothing, there may be kids with the same amount of talent, but when your bike is less than a tenth of the cost of what these factory bikes are that you're racing against, I mean, a, a Team Green Kawasaki bike or a, a Blue Crew Star Racing Amateur bike compared to the 250F that I just bought off the showroom floor that my dad could afford to put a pipe and a sprocket and a set of bars on, like, that's night and day difference. And it's no wonder these kids absolutely dominate in the amateurs. And then you put them in the pro ranks and all of a sudden every single person on that line has the same style bike. And all of a sudden, then you start to see where they really start to fit in and everyone's like disappointed. And I'm just like, I like, I, I don't look at it like that. Like I was that way for a few years here, but now I don't quite look at it that way anymore. I look at it as like, look, we just got to see where they fit in. I'm more disappointed in the way the teams bring the kids into the pro ranks than the, than disappointed in the kids themselves, because I think there's a lot of kids and we've talked about this. And like I said, we could go into such a tangent here that, that they bring these kids in. You have a year, maybe two years to like work the bugs out, figure out where you fit in and how to make it happen so that you can keep getting paid to do this. And then if you can't figure that out in the first two years, they flush you right out and you're on to the next one. And I mean, star racing, uh, and all of the, all of the Austrian brands are notorious for this. And we've seen it with the, with the TLD KTM team, and even now into into the TLD Gas Gas, the Huskies, all of this, we've seen them bring these kids in. They give them a one or two year deal in the pros. By the time they're all set and done and have made it into the pros, they go in Supercross. They get hurt. You forget about them. They go to outdoors. They run tenth to fifteenth, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, you suck. Like get out of here." Where it's like they maybe don't suck, but they just needed another year or two, and you put all this money into these kids just to flush them down the toilet, basically. So um, I don't feel like it was quite that way. I feel like Honda is better about it. They give their guys more time to develop. I feel like Kawasaki's the same way. They give their guys more time to develop. Um, but the other ones, man, I really do feel like pretty much do that. They just bring them in year or two to try and make it happen and then flush them right out if they don't make anything happen. So, and yeah. I, I, well, it's a, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a catch 22 because when you look at somebody like, like Thrasher and I apologize, I keep forgetting who the other Yamaha rider is that you mentioned. Um, the thing that you've got to keep in mind is when you're in the top at the amateur level, a lot of those guys get to go ride at the factory test tracks. You know what I mean? So if put yourself in the position of the manufacturer, if you're, let's say, and I'm speaking, let's make you the riders yourself. You know, you're 15 years old, you get a three-year deal with Star Yamaha, or, you know, uh, two years amateur, one year pro. But during those two years, you know, you're practicing on a relatively star Yamaha practice bike. You're going to Loretta's. You're essentially on a star Yamaha 250. 
you're getting a chance to test and train on the factory track. You're, you're rubbing elbows with the factory guys. We're talking about, let's just use Yamaha. You know, you're at the test track. Like if you notice how when Thrasher won the race, you see how quickly Cooper came over, Malcolm Stewart came over, Plessinger came over because they all ride together. Oh yeah. And so that's where I do understand a little bit of from the manufacturer standpoint I have been critical of the amateur development program, not so much at the pinnacle of what we're talking about tonight. I'm talking more about, you know, you're signing a kid in diapers to a 12 year deal till he goes <laughs> to pro sport. I, that's that I have a little bit of a problem with for different reasons, Yep. but I totally get the manufacturers when, um, and I'm just going to use Thrasher because he won last night and we're talking about star Yamaha, you know, the last two years that you're at Loretta's, yeah, you're expected to win that. Uh, a class pro sport b class i I throw all those in there now because the b class is as fast or faster than the a class anymore but you know you've been training and practicing and racing on a full factory bike you're you're training and practicing at a the the legitimate facility itself yeah there is a high level of expectation and i'm not trying to be critical and i'm not going to mention any names or bike colors because it's not what's relevant go look at the race results look at who is factory and then draw a line because yeah, if you and I are on factory bikes, we have equipment that should beat the privateer just on sheerly going through the whoops, uh, the delivery of power, uh, whether you want to argue ECUs, bike setups, suspension, front and back delivery, et cetera, et cetera. But when you now are getting beat and the one that comes to mind, of course, is March banks, um, I think if you look at what he was doing last night on a, a club MX bike, uh, I know he's got good stuff underneath him, but it damn sure is not Star Yamaha good. Mm-hmm. And he's consistently up. It's not even a matter of him just getting a good start and quote unquote being lucky. That guy is, you know, last night he got a good start, but then he stayed up front until unfortunately he got side swapped like everybody else did. <laughs> In those um, whoops. <laughs> but you put all that together. Yeah. But, you know, what I like about March Banks, because I text him to check in with him, make sure he didn't get hurt. You know, he's just frustrated. But like I said to him, at least you're showing you've got the speed to be up there with those guys. And he's the only non-factory guy that's shaken up the top five every weekend. Yeah. Now, maybe that's an exaggeration. He hasn't been up there every weekend. He's had a couple of races where he's gotten caught up in the first turn. But, you know, hey, Jet Lawrence, uh, excuse me, Hunter Lawrence got caught up in the first turn. And if you watch the race, if you watch the uh, start of that race, if you watch it really closely, if, if Hunter hadn't pushed the front end trying to dive to the inside, the only person that was to his right was Nate Thrasher. And look at how Nate came out of the first turn. Yeah, yeah. Shoulda, woulda, shoulda. I know it's racing, but it does show you what a complete difference that race could have been last night. Nate Thrasher held the front wheel, you know, kept the bike upright, held the line that was three inches to the outside of Hunter. Results are completely different, but you look at the top 10 results and then you draw a line who's actually a factory rider and who's not then you look at it by team there's uh, there's a lot of information like you were just saying who really deserves to be there and who doesn't when a justin cooper gets up dead last in a heat race on a track that was as slippery and snotty as it was look at how fast he came to the front 
Yeah, that was the Cooper's heat race was super impressive after. And I mean, because that was not an easy crash that he took either. Um, He I mean, he wadded it over that jump, like head, neck first into the mud. And then to come. I was actually shocked when all of a sudden it was like, well, Justin Cooper's battling for the lead. And I'm like, wait, what? He no, 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 no. He went down and he went down that first lap hard. He's not bad, but he was he was right there. So that actually impressed me. Um, it made me more believe that he, I guess, deserves this title more or less because that was, that was a hell of a ride. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, McAdoo put on a hell of a ride too. I'm, I'm here to tell you that crash McAdoo had in his heat race there when he tried to scrub the tunnel jump and landed on the top edge, top edge sideways. I said at the point yeah. that my bike lands sideways on the top edge of that jump there. I just shit my pants like hundred percent. There's shit in my pants because I know how tall that, that tunnel is. And that's a long ways. I'm about to fall down to the ground. So, um, well, and if you watch the way he tumbled down it, he had the perfect tuck and roll coming down the landing. Oh, hundred percent. His his, his bike didn't get as much love coming down. I mean, that, that bar and Hey, Give him props getting up and riding that with the bars bent down. And, oh, hundred percent. How hard would that be? No you, way, no way. Yeah, because yeah. those bars were destroyed on that thing. You could see it when he picked it up. It was like practically touching his knees. So, yeah, good, good on yeah. him to get up and keep going. So, and I mean the points are well, still it, tight there between the it, two of them. So, absolutely. And it brings up to something else that I'd like the listeners to contemplate. I don't, and I, I apologize. I don't know off the top of my head. Is McAdoo got another year with PC, or is it one year, one year, one year at this point? I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. To be really honest, yeah, I'm not with you. sure either. But what I think is so interesting is if that was a 450 rider with a two year deal, hundred percent guaranteed he pulls off. Oh yeah, without a doubt. But when you've got a ride on the line, and maybe that's not a fair statement, you know, if, if it was Cooper Webb. Uh, where the points race is at. Yeah, I could see Cooper riding that. But that's Cooper. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, you get you get a guy that's uh, a fifth through tenth guy that's sitting maybe eighth or ninth in points and his bars are bent down and back. He's pulling off. McAdoo rode with heart. Um, and, and I don't know McAdoo. I don't have him in my cell phone or anything like that. But I was just impressed because it, for the young, you know, we're going to have a couple of young riders on tonight that's the type of race I ask my riders to pay attention to. Not the guy that gets the whole shot and everything looks great. You know, the Justin Cooper, if you watch him picking himself up, it looks like he's a little bit, the wind's kind of taken out of him a little bit. It takes him a while to get the bike up, up literally physically upright before he can get on it. And then to charge the way he did. Those are the races I want my athletes to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, McAdoo riding with the bars down and back, um, that's what I love because these kids nowadays, and when I say kids, I know we sound like grandma and grandpa, but it's just very, very annoying because I can't imagine, you mentioned a little bit earlier that the track was, you know, the, the races were cut short. Can you imagine telling Bob Hanna, Wardy, Lachine, Bailey, hey guys, the track's a little wet. We're going to, we're going to cut the race short tonight because <laughs> there's a little bit of cross ruts here and there. Nope. But yet, this is what I think is, is what softened our sport so much is, We've let these these pros, 250 and 450, both, we've we've let them essentially just pussify our sport. You know, it's like, oh, the whoops are too big, the track, the jumps, are, it's too rough, it's cross-rutted. I just go back and I, I try to imagine saying that comment to Bob Hanna not getting punched right in the nose. <laughs> because 
you know, if you if you follow Bob Hanna at all, he has a very popular quote that I love. And he says, until you know what you don't like to do, you're never going to appreciate when you do get a chance to do something you love. Mm-hmm. And he grew up being a welder and he knew if he ever got a chance. And like he said, I would never complain about going and doing a, a one hour run because it sure beat the shit out of, of, of welding for a living. Yep. And you look at these kids and, and I know there's a big discrepancy. You know, we've got a couple kids making some good Jack in the two fifty class, maybe the top eight, maybe six that are making good money. Um, at least by our sports standards, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year, not like baseball where, you know, if you're making the majors, you're making at least a million a year. Yep. But what I think is interesting is when you get these kids where, Oh, the, the whoops are too big. The track's too wet. The track's too slick. It's, I look back at some of those, uh, you know, Super Bowl of motocross at the Coliseum when there's so much rain, even on TV, you could barely even see the riders and they went racing. They didn't, I don't know. I just, I listen to some of these comments and I have to laugh from the bottom of my gut. I'm like, you, this is moto. This is not golf. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not supposed to be easy. It's a real man sport. And so I don't know when, when I hear them whining, that it's too wet. And I understand, you know, they didn't do the second practice to kind of preserve the track. I think that was brilliant. But when guys are complaining, Hey, one guy took, took and sent it. And yeah, it may have been sketchy, but Hey, I know McAdoo wasn't happy riding the bike, but he was going for it. And it's real easy to be a Monday morning uh, quarterback and say, Oh, it was a heat race. What was he doing? Well, I don't know about you, but I was like on the edge of my seat as he was going bar to bar with Hunter oh, yeah. coming up to the tabletop. Like we knew people like, oh, he threw it, he threw it away. And I'm like, oh, so what about Barsha's heat race? Or, you know, oh. yeah, his heat race when he was leading, <laughs> you're going to say he threw it away because he got some wheel spin and splattered himself. But then he got up, he didn't jump the next two, you know, he came out of that left-hand turn and that was double-double. Yep. He rolled it. But what, are we going to say, oh, Barsha shouldn't have been going for it because the track was slick, but then we're sitting here complimenting Cooper that he sent it like he freaking stole it? Yeah. We're, we're a bunch of hypocrites when we come to being a spectator of the sport. Do you want guys going for it? Or, you know, these poor riders don't stand a, a snowball's chance in hell. We yell at them when they overjump something because they're going for it, and then we make fun of them because they were going for it and they shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, wait a second. Are we, are we loving the bar-to-bar racing? Or are we going to just criticize him because air quotes here? He shouldn't have done that. Says who? It's just, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it, now the only person that I have a little bit of a problem with is Chase Sexton jumping in on Cade Place. You know, I, I see the hate that Cade's getting. You know, doesn't that look ironically similar to what Sexton did to uh, Colt Nichols? Wait. Looks almost identical. Ch- what do you mean, Chase jumped You got it? a guy that's. Jumped in on Kate. Yeah, you got. Like, did he say well, something? Got, did I miss something? <laughs> did oh, I miss? They're, they're all they're all saying that Kate Clayson caught uh, cost Texton the win, and that's why Tillman got around. Oh, I, I yeah. call bullshit. Oh no, that first off, I that's not bullshit. a thing. Uh, so the first thing, first thing is, is that Chase could have taken that high line like Tomac was taking. And got by Cade, no problem. I don't know why he chose to ride the same line that Cade was riding. Like, I split the blame between the two of them, okay? Like, Cade yep. wasn't paying yep. attention fully like he should have been. And Chase, like, I don't know what the hell he was doing. Um, but then, at the same time, too, Chase said in the in the press conference yesterday, I guess, that, like, 
he thought that was the last lap. Um, so that's why you saw him like jump the finish line and then roll that next double. Um, and obviously when he did that, Tomac went double, double, double through that, through that front section there, he pulled away from chase. Uh, but it took chase until he rolled that second jump to realize, Oh shit, that was the white flag, not the checkered flag. And then take off again, um, to get that second place. But the, I mean, I don't know if uh, if Chase has said anything after that, but I haven't heard anything out of his mouth that was negative towards Cade. I mean, I'm sure, don't get me wrong, I'm sure all of these, as you said, Monday morning quarterbacks in our sport here right now are just tearing Cade apart. And in fact, I've heard he's turned his social media off, so which is a good idea because I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh boy, here we go. Um, but at the same time, uh, shh. Just take it easy out there, everybody. If anybody's sending anything negative towards Cade, you need to just chill down on that because, yeah, that was that was a split thing there. That was not all of a of a Cade Cade Clayson fault there, and Chase was not a hundred percent mentally in that. Like I said, knowing now that he said, "Oh yeah, like I thought the race was over that lap anyway." Okay. Yep. And 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 take it a step further. I'm not. I wasn't in Cade's helmet. But when I was looking at the time splits, I didn't think that Sexton and, and Tomac were coming up on Cade that fast, to be honest with you. Because mm-hmm. if you look at like a couple a couple laps ahead, it's not like that the time difference was, you know, they were putting 25 seconds a lap on them. Yeah. So, you know, Cade's a very experienced rider. He comes out of the corner, kind of glances back, sees that there's a good distance. Cade would not, unlike Dean Wilson that just stayed in the main line with the blue flags flying everywhere, I think quite on, and I haven't spoken to Cade, but I, I can imagine because when you look back and you're like, all right, two straightaways ago, you had a couple seconds. You're taking that because that 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 right hand turn only had really one main line in it. Yep. He simply took it, and all of a sudden, boom! Sexton comes up and nails him from behind. I don't think Cade would have stayed in the main line if he knew they were coming that quick. So I, I'm going to give Cade credit. He's in a, he's a professional. He's a damn good rider. There's no way if he knew he was getting eaten up that fast, he would have been in that line. So no. that's number one. And then number two, what about Chase Sexton? He did the same thing to Colt Nichols, and it reminds me a lot of the way James Stewart used to ride. And I'm not saying the irony because it's you know he's training with Stewart, <laughs> but how many times did we watch Stewart jump into the back of people, including jump right on the back of Ricky Carmichael at that outdoor national? Yep. Yep. No, it just, it's, you know, it's, yeah. And, Ah, it's and I love Sexton. I've always said on a 450, he's the future of the sport. I believe that sincerely. Sure is. But my goodness, these last two, you know, between what he did to Colt Nichols and then what he did, I'm like, dude, this is a habit. You better stop. Yeah. Like you said. And I just think if you're at that level, you've got to be a little bit more of a chess player, not because Cooper Webb is on a rampage right now, but you got to ride more like Cooper. you got to think like a chess player two straightaways later, not just right now and and i've seen tomac doing a lot outdoors and i see webb doing a lot indoors but you know i don't know it, if that is the only main line you don't over jump and come rearing into the guy's tail end if you know just put yourself not in Cade's place put yourself in sexton if you know you're coming up on somebody that fast why in the hell would you jump into his rear end yeah no i, I mean it doesn't make sense to me I am a I am a terrible rider at best, and even I, if I'm coming up on someone who I know is slower, even if I'm going in a line that isn't really there or that I don't want to take. And now, granted, I'm not racing for you know hundred thousand dollar win bonus or anything like that. Like I said, I am terrible, 
but I still can pass some people on the track at some points. I'm going anywhere that they're not. Okay. And I like, I mean, I would have been going higher in that berm. I would have just squared it up and cut right down. Something, man. I'd have done something else other than run into the back end of him. So um, we're getting a little short on time here before we get our first dude up. So let me ask you, I've yeah. got two more things on here. Uh, first yeah. off, what the hell happened to Kenny? <laughs> this is this is bad. This is not good. Like this title is eighty five percent over in my book. Like it's it's a race uh, for second place at this point, right? Between Tomac and Kenny. Yep, I totally agree. It's what everybody predicted. You know what I mean? It's he did a better job of not cracking or, or throwing it away early in the season. And and I know maybe we're being a little bit harsh, but you know, I don't, I don't have an answer for you. I I'm sitting there looking at it going, where is he at? And how did he get there? Now? Yes. I know it's slick and I know it's got all these other issues going on, but come on guys. Um, I, I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't, I, you look I at, hate to say it, but it's almost like he took a pill from uh, Tomac. Like, who's going to show up now? Yeah, like, you look at the first lap, okay? So he comes around that first corner, goes across the line, because the line was pretty close to, to the actual start, and and he's 19th, okay? Got a shit start. Got it. Cool. No problem. First lap and a half, he passes nine dudes, gets into 10th, and yep. then just gets in a battle with, uh, who was it? Mookie, Ferrandis, and was it Marv, I want to say? And just, I mean, I'm I'm watching the timing on the left side of the screen and stuff, and he's just going nowhere. Like, he cannot do anything with those guys. And I'm, and I'm thinking in my brain, I'm like, this is the first, uh, we'll call it the first five minutes of the race because I'd say five laps, but the, the it was only 12 lap main anyway. Um, so, so it's yeah. the first five minutes of the race, which is when Kenny is at his best. Okay. He's a fast twitch dude. He, he moves and it's just like, he gets to 10th in the first lap and cannot go anywhere else. And then Ferrandis turns on the afterburners later on the race and blasts by him. And then is like three seconds past him by the end of the race. Like it was, it's just nuts to see someone who was so good at the beginning of the year and won three in a row at Indy. And now you're looking at, he's had what two podiums in the last six races now. Like it's, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I have to agree with you hundred percent and you have to add another dynamic to it everybody's going to try to pull, oh, it's his Epstein bar, it's his Lyme disease, it's all this coming back. We just had a two-week break. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if anybody should have come back with batteries recharged, it should be Roxon. Yep. Which which boggled my mind even more because I thought he would come back after this break and we would see a rejuvenated Kenny again. And, like, he, these three would be pretty damn good, you know? And now it's like, um, okay, guess not. So... I hate to say it, but it, it it's going to let all the talking pundits be correct because it wasn't a matter of if Kenny broke, it was a matter of when. Yep. And he will get credit for going further in the season before he does it. But I don't know about you. I was a huge Roxon fan when he came over and could barely speak English. And he was just like a pit bull in a fight. And I just remember like little feared him. You yeah. know, like when he got to, but, you know, he went through the ranks. And then when he got that RCH ride, and I just remember everybody knew they were racing for second place. Yep. And I know he's been through a lot with the accident, you know, and then coming back and then getting in the accident again with Cooper and then the infections. And I'm by no means minimizing that living hell that he has been through. 
I have a problem with the reason why he got hurt and they're retaliating against each other over a chick. I have a huge problem with that. But outside of that, like, where did the fire go? I know we've all had conversations, you know, is he physically and emotionally exhausted, digging himself out of a hole? But even like in the interview last night, you know, when they're interviewing Cooper and they're interviewing Kenny, he just kind of has this lightness about him. Like he doesn't want to just reach to the phone and punch Cooper right in the head where Cooper wants to rip his head off and spit down his neck. Yeah. He just, Cooper has that and he's polite, but Cooper still has that. He's leaning into the screen. Like I'm here to win. And Kenny's like, yeah, I'd like to buy him a cup of tea and a biscuit and sit down and let's have lunch and talk about, you know, life and our two kids. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with being polite, but at this level, you've got to want it. And I don't see Kenny wanting it like he did when he was riding for RCH. I mean, he would just hang it out. And yeah. Yeah. We could argue all day long. Is that money? Is that getting older? Is that getting burnt out? Is it all the above? I, I personally don't think he's going to finish up outdoors as we talked about before. That's, that's my personal I think he taps out. Yeah, maybe. We'll have to see. I'm interested to see how that goes. Now, I will say one other thing here, just in trying to kind of closing that out. Um, he So there was a – I think they did a thing on Race Day Live with him, and um, he actually brought up when they were talking in the little interview thing about the crash with Webb um, where he got his arm caught in the swing arm or whatever. Um Man, and when he did that and the way he talked about it, and I just went, this dude has no fire to go in there and actually battle with someone. Like, that that part of him is gone because in his mind, he just sees that happening again because he was like, oh, it it was stupid and it was this and it was that. And it's like, dude... It really wasn't that stupid. I mean, it was stupid the reason you guys did it because you guys were going after it about a chick, which I get to an extent. I'm, you know, young enough to still understand that somewhat. But at the same time, too, it's like you just ripped that clutch too hard (laughs) on that looped out. And, you know, Cooper went down with you and away you went. And it was just bad luck of getting that arm, you know, snagged in the thing. But like I said, when I when I heard that, saw that. And, and just listen to the way he talked. I just read between the lines and went, okay, cool. You know, you've got McGrath sitting there on race day live a few weeks ago saying he needs to get in there and just put Cooper down, you know, and, and say, yo, what's up? Like I'm here to play, but we're never going to get that out of Kenny. Like we're never going to see that again. He's not, he's not ever going to do that. So, uh, if he's not straight up faster, yeah, then, then we're done. So, um, I agree. One last question here before we get ever on the line here. Uh, does Tomac win that race yesterday if Sexton doesn't run into the back of Cade? Or does Sexton take home his first one? 100%. Oh, really? 100%. Okay. You thought. You look at how fast his. Well, you look at where Tomac started, you know, and yeah. the rate that he was cutting through the field. Um, yeah. I and, and you look at the fact that he, you know, he was, he was before. Sexton ran into Cade. He was, it's not like he was inching up on him. I mean, he was pretty consistent every lap, a little bit faster, a little bit faster. And, you know, I just think that track, I know it sounds a little cliche ish, that's a little bit more suited for Tomac's style. Yep. A uh, little bit longer laps. I think the, the sand and I think the, the brute strength of being able to kind of finesse the bike, you know, when you're riding in that slippery stuff, it takes a lot more strength than people realize. Yeah. I absolutely, it, uh, 100% think that he had that race 
Um, I may have lost a bet with uh, Toolman Dan over at Main Event. Tomac come in and win two two out of the three there, and I said no. Uh, if that Tomac that showed up last night shows up on Tuesday night, I think you see it. I think when it gets dry, what will be interesting for me to see more than anything else, how does Cooper manage the top three? He's going to be there, but just like you saw, he didn't push – Sexton at all for second place because he doesn't need to. You know he's looking at that board going over the finish line, looking for that 94. Carlos is putting out where 94 is at. Yeah. And that's all. The next three races, what do we have? Four races left, right? Yep, yep. Cooper could give a rat's ass about any more wins. Yeah. It's the gap between him and Roxon, if they leave Atlanta, he puts another 10, 12 points on him and we're a race down, game over. Not I mean game over for obvious reasons, but – Toma, excuse me, you're going to see a completely, I'm going to win the chess game. I've been following my strategy. If you go back to the beginning of the season and, and they were playing with Webb's rear shock and they finally got that dialed, Webb didn't panic. Webb wasn't calling everybody out, doing the typical stuff. Just kept his mouth quiet. I'm not just, I'm going to pick at it, pick at it, pick at it. Momentum changed. You know, Roxon came out with a lot of momentum. He started wanting to talk some smack. Webb served it back. And then I think as soon as Webb served it back, you could even see Kenny's response on the podium. It was kind of kind of foolish. He yep. kind of acted like he just got punched in the face and he was going to tell him the next time he sees him, he's going to punch him back kind of thing. Yep. He acted foolish on there. Like, I'm going to put just that little bit more in every week. That's the most asinine statement I've ever seen. Yep. Oh, yeah. But Kenny was back on his heels. He got bitch slapped, in my opinion. <laughs> yep. I 100% agree, man. You're going to see Cooper that as long as that number 94 is behind him, he don't give a shit where he finishes at this point in the race. As long as 94 That's is behind exactly him, it. he's good. So, yep. Uh, um, okay, cool, man. So that is pretty much everything I think I have on the race. So uh, let's take just a quick second break here. We'll call up uh, – we'll call up – Evert and uh, get him on the line here and uh, we'll start talking to him okay sounds good all righty all right guys so now uh, first up on the show tonight we have with us uh, amateur rider Evert Clark Evert how's it going buddy good how are you I'm, I'm doing great man I'm doing great so um, I think if I'm correct here and I might be wrong which I am a lot uh, you were racing today too is that correct no, we just went to Delta to practice. Oh, okay. Okay, cool, man. How'd that go? Was it good out there? Lots of people, or what's up? Yeah, there's a couple. There's quite a bit of people. Um, I got. I was the first one on the track this morning, and it was pretty nice. Nice, nice. That fresh groom. They didn't make it too muddy or anything with the water? Yep. Nice. Perfect this morning. Nice. All right. Well, for everyone who doesn't know you, because I know there's plenty of people out there that don't follow amateur motocross. Why don't you give us your basic backstory? So who you are, where you're from, uh, what classes you race, and let's just let's just start with that, man. Okay. My name's Everett Clark. I'm from Lehigh, Utah. I race Super Mini 10 to 12 mod and Mini Senior 1. Okay. Those are my classes. Sweet, sweet. And um, so is this, uh, is this first year super mini for you then? Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. 
Now, um, I know they're starting to do um, uh, some of the Loretta's qualifiers already. Have you done some of those already, or are you guys not quite there yet? Yeah, uh, I did one, and I think there's one at Delta next week. Okay. How did the first one go? It went pretty good. I qualified, and the weekend went good. Okay, sweet. Qualified in both classes then? Yep. That's awesome. That's awesome. What um what kind of bike do you ride, man, for your super mini? I ride uh I have a 105 112 and an 85 mod. Okay. Uh KTM. KTMs. Okay. So your orange brigade. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um mm-hmm. now did uh do you do like a lot of the major races or do you do a lot of local races or how do you guys kind of divide that up? Like what's your what's your schedule like? Do you just practice and then you just go do these major races or what what do you do exactly um so there's this local series that is pretty good rmx they do they groom the track pretty well and it gets rough like nationals so we'll do like a couple races out of the year for like we'll do a bunch of races rmx and then we'll do some of the major events major nationals and yeah that's what we do. What um what major nationals do you guys go to? Like, do you do minios? Do you Dayton- Daytona Amateur Supercross? Uh, what is it? Spring a ding, or the um James Stewart Spring Nationals? Like, what do you what do you guys try to do? We do. We usually do the Spring Nationals, minios, Loretta's. I've never been to Daytona. I want to go. It looks. Fun. Oops, sorry. It looks fun. We do. Cow Classic, Mammoth, we do a lot. Okay, all right, yeah, so you guys are all over the place. Now, do you guys drive everywhere, yeah. or do you, like, have someone haul your bikes, and you guys just fly into some of these long-distance ones? How does that go? No, usually we'll take a van to, like, Mammoth, but we'll take the motorhome to Loretta's Spring Nationals and stuff like that. Oh, man, you guys are road warriors then. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure I want to do like a 30-hour road trip out to California or something to ride. That seems like a long drive for me. Um Oh, yeah. We I think we went to Last year we went to Florida twice. Holy smokes. We trained in Florida for the Reddits and then we went to Minios. Where did you uh, where did you ride in Florida for your training down there for Loretta's last year? I went and trained at Tyler Ratchet's place. Oh, nice, nice. Who were who yeah. were some of the pro guys out there? Because I know there were pro guys there you got to ride with, and it was sick. Yeah, there was a couple out there. I think there was three at one point. Oh, okay, all right. And his track is pretty sick yeah. there. Yeah, his track is pretty fun. Awesome. It's super it gets really rough and he will hardly prep it, but like every other month he'll completely reprep the track so it's all fresh and new. That's awesome. That is awesome. So um what uh what classes did you go to Loretta's in last year and how did that go? I went to Loretta I went to Loretta's in the 85, 10 to 12 stock and mod. Okay. And how'd you do? 
Um, I think I got 13th and 16th. I don't, uh, I forgot. <laughs> it was a long time ago, <laughs> right? It was 2020. No one yeah. remembers anything. I get it, man. I get it. Yeah. Um, did you, do you remember, did you have any mud motos that week? I don't, I watched the race on, uh, on the internet, but I don't remember exactly if there was, if there was a lot of rain that week or not. No, it, it, I think it only rained throughout the night once, but all of my motos, the track was perfect and just one of the motos that got really hot. Okay. Okay. Well, you're lucky because from my understanding, like I'm probably newer into this whole racing industry thing than you are. <laughs> um, but from my understanding <laughs> is when you go to Loretta's, it's either raining or it's smoking hot. So if you got no rain and only one moto that was smoking hot, then you got real lucky, sir. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. Have you, uh, have you done any of the, uh, amateur supercross stuff, uh, before they shut all that down? Did you get a chance to do any of those? Um, yeah, we went to Oakland and did one. Oh and man. And that was actually fun. Oh man, you, you went to, uh, I think I was, so what was that been? 2019 then, right? Yeah. So, oh yeah, I yeah. was I was at that race like not the amateur day. I was there for the pro day the night before. Um, yeah, man, I don't know about you, but I would not go back to Oakland. That place was sketchy. So I don't know what it was yeah. like where they parked you guys and stuff. But like, yeah, after I, well, no, no, it's a bad place. Sure after <laughs> that, they, I'm pretty sure after that they closed the stadium down. Oh, did they? They're in <laughs> Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that uh yeah, that was that was probably one of the most terrifying nights in an airport in my life. So <laughs> Yeah. I uh, scary. Yeah, I didn't um I didn't quite realize so the way it worked here for me was like I was in Las Vegas already that week. So I flew from Las Vegas to Oakland just for the race. Um and then my plan was to fly out the next morning, um, right back to Las Vegas at like seven AM, I think my flight was or something like that. Um, and I did not realize that the airport was not open 24 hours. So I went after the race, I went to the press conference and stuff like that. And, uh, then I went to the airport, returned my rental car and went in and tried to go into the actual terminal to, uh, to go sit by the gate where my plane was going to take off in the morning. And they're like, Oh no, it closes. So I had to, I ended up, um, sitting on a bench, uh, in the front part of the terminal before you go through security, uh, by the only plug that was in the wall, and I worked on my laptop all night um, next to about three or four homeless people that were sleeping in there and uh, and just did uh, stuff for the show all night. But it was tricky because the Internet only worked for 45 minutes. And like I said, probably probably one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. Um because yeah. I was up for about 36 hours That's straight. Good. And, yeah, it was a lot. So, um yeah, wouldn't wouldn't recommend. Yeah. It's not it's not a round I recommend, but hey, at least we've all experienced it now. So, <laughs> yeah. So we've all done that. Um, so, what do you think? Uh, what do you think's going on this year with Loretta's? Like, do you uh, do you think you're gonna make it? Is it gonna be some pretty stiff competition, and it's gonna be tricky for you? How do you think it's gonna go? Yeah, um, I'm hoping I'll make it. Um, yeah, I'm hoping I'll make it. I. Uh, I think I will. I think I have a good chance in the 85 class. The mini senior and super mini class, those classes are stacked. Yep. There's a lot of fast kids in those this year. 
Yep. I don't know a whole and lot about it, but I know Super Mini is always a stat class. Yeah. And I'm one of the younger kids in the class, too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess with mm-hmm. it being your first year, but hey, that's all right, man. Um, where, I, where I didn't grow up racing moto, I grew up playing hockey. And I will tell you that as you go through like the second and third years of being in the same age division, it always gets easier because you're like, ah, I've been there, done that. So it works out well. Yeah. No problem. No problem. So um, what do you yeah. do? What do you do for like schooling? Are you uh, I know everything's screwed up because of the whole COVID situation. Um, so are you like homeschooled? Are you going to school? Um, do you guys would you guys be doing like public school normally in a normal year type deal? How, how does that work in your family? Um, so before COVID, I used to go to a school where I could do like homeschool for, I think it was every other day, but Tuesday. And then I would go to school on Tuesday and then I'd do all my work at home and stuff. But then the COVID happened and my mom got me in for a school that just is online and homeschool and stuff. So we can do it on the road and go into nationals and stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that works out. Yeah, I I formed that question and then I thought, oh crap, COVID's going on and everything's screwed up. So <laughs> he probably yeah. is homeschooled right now, even though that wouldn't necessarily be the normal thing. That's really cool though that like yeah. before COVID, your school would let you do you know one day in class and the rest of the week you could just do online and stuff. Um, is that like a public yeah. school you go to or is it some sort of private school that does that? What, how does that work? Um, it's I think it's a private school. Okay. Or no, it's a charter school. Oh, okay. That makes sense then. That makes sense. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, now, when you practice normally, do you have like track at the house? You guys have property with a track at the house? Do you go somewhere local? Do you have a buddy that's got a track? Like, how does that work for you? No, there's a... In the winter, we have to drive down to southern Utah. and I think it's Nevada. There's a track like on the border of Utah, Arizona, and Nevada, and we go on their ride. Okay. We have to for in the winter, but summertime, the tracks open up down here, and there's a, quite a bit of tracks, and I really want property. Probably would be fun to have. Property with your own track is a great way to go, but just make sure you've got enough money yeah. to hire someone to do track maintenance because that part is not fun. <laughs> Um, so, okay. So where you live in Utah, are you guys like close to Salt Lake city? I don't, I guess I don't know exactly regional wise in Utah. You know, you, <laughs> you kind of told me you live in Utah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I guess that's a big state. So are you guys close to Salt Lake city at all or, or not really? Yeah, we're like, I think 30 minutes away from Salt Lake city. We live in Lehigh. Oh, okay. It's, okay. Yeah. Um, are you going to the Supercross races then in the next couple weeks when they're there? Maybe. Depends on what my parents want to do. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's always a thing. Um, who uh do you follow the racing, the pro racing? Yeah, I watch pro motocross and supercross Sweet. all the time. Who's your who's your guy? Who's your four fifty guy that you're you'll fight to the death for? I really like Tomac. Okay. All right. Like, yeah. I mean, he's close. He's in, what is it, Cortez, Colorado there or whatever. So he's 
he's in that yeah. same general region as you. So I could see that. I could see that. What do you like about him? Yeah. Is it his style, his attitude? Is it because he rides a cowie and you're a big cowie person? I mean, what are you? What are where are you at on that? I I do like cowies as a bike brand, and I I just like his style, and he isn't very like cocky. Okay. Well, I'm saying like all the riders are cocky and he's not, he's just like confident in a quiet way and he doesn't really like show emotion, I guess. I don't know. I, th I think that's cool about him and I really like his riding style and he just needs to get a start. <laughs> Cause he's always. <laughs> yes. Up. That's how, that's how you know that you have an issue when even the kids are like, yo dude, your starts are not great. You need to fix that. So yeah. But yes, but I, I agree with you. He's got that very um, quiet confidence of he doesn't have to make any comments. He doesn't have to say anything. You just kind of, there's a presence there when he's around. So, and that bulldog mentality yeah. that he rides with is very, very interesting to watch because he, 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 he rock and rolls. I've, I, we have Redbud, like I'm like an hour from Redbud, um, and so being there and right next to the fence line during practice in the morning, watching him and obviously everyone else ride, which I'm sure, you know, it's, it's impressive to see. So, um, okay. Uh, you, I believe I looked it up on Instagram. You guys went to the AZ open. Is that correct? Yeah. And we you had some pretty open. good finishes there, right? Yeah, I did decent. Well, I mean, tell me about it, because there were a lot of trophies, I feel like, in that picture from the AZ Open. Yeah, it was it was actually pretty good. Uh, I don't really remember what classes I rode. I'm pretty sure I rode the Super Mini, Mini Senior and 85, 10-12 Open, or Stock. I don't know. I don't really remember. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I did pretty good. That track gets super, like, sharp edges and beat up okay and it's yeah there's a track that closed down that we used to ride all the time and that's kind of how it would get it would just get a little bit lonelier mm -hmm. but that track is really fun okay and i think i don't really remember what places i got i think i got first a second and third or second and fourth Pretty sure. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. like I said, I remember I kind of was scrolling through your Instagram yesterday, just checking stuff out, and uh, and I was like, oh man, he got he took a bunch of trophies home from from that race, so I better bring that up and ask him about that. So, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Um. When? Uh. How old were you when you started riding? What was your first bike, man? My first bike was like a. It was it was like an off brand, just Chinese bike. I have no idea. And I started riding it when I was three, and then I crashed on it and didn't want to ride it for like a week, and I got scared. But then I finally got on it, and I liked it, and I figured out how to ride it. And then we got like this KTM Junior Adventure, and then we went to Cobras, and then 65s, we went to KTMs. Okay. And I started racing them. I'm sorry, you cut out. You started racing when you were how old? five oh okay okay cool man yeah what was your uh do you remember your first win oh uh, yeah i do was it your I first think, year 
no, it was like, I think it was my third or something. Can't really remember. No, I, it was when I was six, actually. Okay. It was at, they did what, I'm pretty sure they did a pro race there one time. I think it's Miller Motorsports. Okay, yep, yep. Um, yeah, and it, like, was super muddy and super rainy that day, and I think I got, like, second in the whole shot, and then I just, I think first went down, and I just rode and led the race. I don't really remember. I just remember it being super muddy, <laughs> and we had to cut the... That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you, uh, you play around on the pit bikes at all? Do you have one of those? Yeah, I do. I used to all the time, but it like it broke and we were trying to fix it and it sucks so bad and now it won't like it won't engage it you have to have it on half throttle and you'll give it full throttle and it'll just like rev up and stop what kind of what kind of pit bike do you have a honda oh nice best choice yeah don't let anyone convince you that those kawasaki's are better (laughs) gotta ride red on the pit bikes man so you, uh, have you done any pit bike races or anything, or you just play around on them? Um, I, one time, I think I've done a couple. One time at, uh, AZ Open, me and my friend did one, and I came off the track, and it was like a turn track, or not a turn track, it was like a straight, but you would, I get, I don't really, <laughs> it was a side, but it was, okay. and I accidentally took friend out that's awesome there's no accidentally all right just just say it's fine (laughs) you punted him you were like bro i'm coming through just move this is my race to win it's fine no big deal it happens man we do it to the best of them so um so how many times have you been to loretta's i've been five and i'm pretty sure i oh yeah i've made it every time i've tried okay well that's That's awesome. Yeah. I think it was almost two years ago. I broke my foot, and then I couldn't go to Loretta's that year, and I broke it pretty bad. Oh, man, that's a bummer. But th- Yeah. But then I had to, I, like, regained and had to work on my foot a lot, and then the next year I made it to Loretta's at a Supernational in Tooele. That was actually... Kind of a scary time. It was, like, super windy, and some of the jumps are really big. So, like, you'll have to jump on the right side of the jump, and you'll land on the left. Yeah, that's sketchy. If it's like that, I'm just not riding yeah. that day. I'm out. I'm I'm old. I'm <laughs> slow. I don't need that in my life. I'm out. I'll just be like, you know what? We'll see you guys at the next one. I'm packing it up in the trailer. We're out. We're going home. So... <laughs> um. Yeah. So, what is your, what's your favorite kind of dirt to ride? Because it sounds like you ride... A lot of places. So, are you a, a loamy person? Are you sand? Are you hard pack? Are you rocky? What are What are you? What's your favorite to to rip around? Um, uh, I don't really know. A lot of the tracks here are kind of hard packed and not so loamy. They're yeah, that's what they are. But there's a track, the track that we went to today. That's probably. I really like that dirt. It's probably the best, not the best that I've ridden, but the one that I've liked the most. Cause I don't know. In the morning, it was like it's kind of a sandyish track, but at the end of the day, it'll get a little bit 
like more loamier and more dirtier. Okay. Just in the morning, it's kind of weird. I don't know. It changes a lot, but it's fun. So I you, like it. So, so there's like no preference. You'll just ride anything. You just want to ride. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's the attitude to have, man. So, um, okay. Well, uh, you got some sponsors you want to thank here before we let you go, man. Yeah, I want to thank my mom, dad, F- FXR, x and Goggles, Pro Circuit, Dunlop, Bell Helmets, Coach Rob, um, Customer and Concrete, and everyone. Everyone, thank you so much for being by my side. Well, awesome, man. Well, thank you for coming on here. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully you go down to Loretta's here and... Uh, put some decent finishes Thank down you. and then we'll, uh, we can chat again after that, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I'll get you guys some links to the shows here too. So you can share it around if you want to. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks buddy. Have a good night. Okay. See ya. Thank you. Yep. Bye. All right, coach. You still there? Absolutely, buddy. Sorry, I guess I should have probably asked if you had anything you wanted to talk to him about before I let him go. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I think it's great. Um, I like it where you, you kind of like I'm not holding their hand anymore. This is truly you're in an interview, you know. Uh, it's, it, it's all on you. So that was fantastic. Yeah, great kid, man. Great kid. How long have you been working with him? Yeah, Everett is, um, he's been on the team for one year, but I had the privilege of working with him for a couple of years before. And, you know, when we, if we, if we give a little bit of history with the team, because I want to make sure that the listeners truly understand what the Moto E Amateur Development Program is all about. We started the team back in 2008. And what I, what I would do is I would go to the nationals and I would look for kids that are outside the top 10. And I wanted kids that were on a shoestring budget, but they really had a big heart and just, you know, they were just thankful and appreciative of going racing. And that first year in 2008, we, we only had a team of 10 riders. Uh, we picked them out, as I said. And then I went out and started shaking the trees to try to get some manufacturer support for these riders. Uh, like I always tell these kids, I want them to get up, focus on school. I want them to ride as much as they can afford. I want them to cross train as much as they can logistically work it in and let me work on getting some, some financial support for you. And then it kind of blossomed from there up until last year, we actually started, well, actually five years ago, we started going ahead and accepting resumes. And then what I do is I have a team of consultants. We go out and we do background checks on the rider because we still wanted to be, working with riders that are outside the top 10 big hearts, but just didn't have those last couple pieces to put it together. This is what brings us back to Everett. We were coaching Everett for a couple of years and we've decided now that we're going to have two components of our program. We're going to have a team that we select that is, you know, just being very blunt on the fast track to being at the front of the pack. We want to work with them, give them all the extra attention that they need we still have our amateur development program, but we, we, I don't want the listeners to be confused. We have it partitioned off where we have those that are outside the top 10 that are looking for some help and guidance. And then we have a select team, and that's what Everett is on. He's on our co-factory program. And what that means is 
he gets a lot of sponsorship benefits, both of what Moto E can bring to the table. The sponsors that he listed are all his personal sponsors, which are great, um, which leads us up to the answer to your question. You know, working with him the last couple of years, Everett and the next rider that we're going to have on board are my cream of the crop, 85 riders. Um, we do have a team of 20 that is on the, our elite team. And we're going to be bringing on riders onto your show throughout the year. But these are two, I have a couple other 85 riders that are, you know, they're all on that same pre, tip of the spear, as we call it. But what I love in, about listening to Everett talk is he's very humble. When he mentioned that foot injury, he was very, very competitive in the 65 class at Loretta's. And then that, that ankle injury took him out, as he said, ended up missing a year at Loretta's. And it was very interesting because you can imagine at a young age, you go from being one of the top guys, you're, you're controlling and pushing the pace at the front. And all of a sudden he misses a year of qualifiers, misses a year at Loretta's. Well, then they aged up and all the other guys went to the 85 class. Well, as Everett said, he's the young guy in the 85 class. So he kind of feels like he's behind the, he's behind the eight ball a little bit. If you listen to his tone of voice, uh, we've been working on it. And I don't think he'll be embarrassed by me saying that, but he still doesn't see himself as a front of the pack guy. I do. Um, I've been very blunt with him. I see him. Uh, I've got I've got a total of 485 riders on the team. I I believe all four of them have the ability to be the next Adam C. Uh, they have a very pit bull aggressive aggressive side inside of them in a good way kind of like we talked about earlier in the show, you know, that Cooper Webb fire in the belly, that early Ken Roxon coming from Germany, that young AC, even the AC that we see today, you know, that old joke, they love winning, but they hate to lose more than they love to win. <laughs> Everett, who we're going to be talking to next, Zayden, you know, these are the guys that I see being the next fold. Uh, many of the listeners know that I've worked with Logan Best for several years. Logan came through our development program the exact same way. And when you look at Logan, he's at the top of the spear. He's got some, uh, some teams that are looking at him at the pro level. That's what this whole vision is about because yes, I don't, I don't mind saying on in confidence to your listeners, Moto E is working on having a professional team in two years. Um, it won't be that we'll go out and we'll pick a guy that's already a top guy. We will take one of our riders that's going through our development program that's currently in the B class. We will take two of those riders and we will be putting them in a factory rig. We're going to take a completely different approach to a pro team. And we, we, you and I can do a show on that in the, in the ref in the future, but staying consistent with what we're talking about tonight, my goal is to bring Everett, into that next level the same way we did Logan Best so that they can continue to, and I always say this when we get a new rider, my responsibility is to make sure that the rider is ready for the next class. So when Logan was on the 85, we were already working on the 125 strength and, and endurance necessary. Yep. And I don't mind saying publicly, that's what Everett Clark is on. You know, these 85 riders, it's not if we're going to the 125, it's a matter of when. So you don't ever want to let the bike surpass the rider's ability because that's when you get them hurt. So I love how humble Everett is. I think you could pick up on his ability to articulate himself. He's very, very smart, has a great vocabulary. 
Um, I think it's interesting when you're asking him about his results racing. Did you notice he didn't look to his parents? I don't knowing Everett as well as I do. He probably took his dad's phone and went in the other room. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not one of those codependent kids that needs everybody to tell him what to do, what to say, where to go. You're going to find the same thing with Zayden when he comes on in a little bit. They're very, for their age, they're incredibly mature. And it's one of the things that attracts us to these riders from a marketability standpoint. That's why I appreciate you allowing us to bring them on the air. As part of our mission associated with our amateur development program, of course, we're in the business of building racers, whether they're triathletes, mountain bike racers, baseball players, or in our relationship, motocross racers, supercross racers, GNCC racers. And what I always say is there's nothing worse than a fast rider who can't enunciate, who cannot carry on a conversation. And I don't mind saying I have my athletes working on their speaking skills. I appreciate you interviewing them. I hope I, I hope the listeners know you and I did not queue up questions. No. Everything that you asked Everett, that was yours. You and I did not put together some talking points. That was 30 minutes That's before it. we came on that I wrote this stuff down. So. That's it. <laughs> there you go. But I want the listeners to know that because I don't think there's one that's listening to the show that wouldn't agree when you see these podium speeches and they're so pre-programmed, they're so predictable, they're so mundane. You, we need that dynamic interview of a Jeremy McGrath, of a Chad Reed, um, even of a James Stewart. Um, I'm not saying I'm encouraging my riders to do the worm in the sprinkler <laughs> after they finish the race, but I, I do want them to answer with something more than monosyllables. I do want them to answer with more than yes, no, you know. Um, and I hope, I hope the listeners picked up on that. It's something that we work on quite a bit. I worked on it with AC quite, I mean, literally every week. Do you remember back in the day when we had Aaron Bates as a pit reporter? Yes. Do you, did you ever meet her in person? No. Or ever see her in person at the races? No. She um. So she was before my time of actually going to the races. That was more along the lines of when I was still just watching on TV as a pure fan. And then she was still there in my time when I was away from motocross in like my early 20s. So... Um, yeah, so, but I do remember her being the, the pit chick for, for Supercross and maybe motocross. I don't remember how it worked back in the day, but. Yep. Well, what, if you've never met her before, she's a professional mountain bike racer and she's extremely tall. I think she's six foot or even a little bit over six feet tall and she has very big breasts. (laughs) And I told Adam, I, I told Adam C, I go, there's nothing going to be worse than you get interviewed and your nose is right in between her chest. And all you can do is go. <laughs> I say, you've got to be able to focus. You have to be able to listen to the question, answer the question. You've got to be able to give an answer. You know, if I cannot imagine how painful it must be for Daniel Blair with an earpiece with a producer and you're trying to talk to one of these guys and you're like, well, how was the race? Good. How's the bike handling? Good. How do you like the track? I like it. Yeah. And you know, that producers in Daniel's ears going, move over to jet Lawrence, move to jet Lawrence, go. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll send it over to, you know, and then what do you get when you get jet Lawrence? 
He's barking in the microphone. He said, somebody let the dog <laughs> look at the Lawrence brothers. Yeah, they're great. You know, he's talking about his sister. Who would you, you know? rather? It's awesome. Do you That's feel right. like, do you feel like though that the, um, not to get off on a tangent here, um, that the interviews are getting slightly better as far as on the podium? Like, I was, 100%. I, I feel like we're not getting as much cookie cutter as we used to back in Allah, say like the the Dungy Villapoto era there where it was like, oh yeah, I want to thank uh, Target, uh, Red Bull, KTM, uh, Fox, uh, yeah, whatever, like, you know, reading off the pit board. We still get that occasionally and they all throw it in at the end, you know, they all got to think, oh, Monster Energy, Kawasaki, whatever. But I feel like we're definitely getting better and even guys like um, like Tomac who was, for, for lack of a better term, not very talkative on the podium for a long time here while he was winning i feel like even he has gotten a lot better of like just being loose up there and like yeah man like great race like this this and this happened like yeah whatever so um and even the 250 kids too like you still have i like i mean justin cooper still kind of yeah but i don't know that he'll ever get better yeah but then you have like mcadoo i mean hammaker i mean any of these other guys on the podium they all open up and talk pretty well i feel like so so i feel like we're on the uptrend of that we're getting better yeah i totally agree with you and i think like with tomac and i've never spoken to him about this but you know now that he won that supercross title and that monkey's off his back i feel like he smiles a lot more he laughs at himself more he criticizes himself more um i think in the past I'm not saying he would make excuses, but, you know, he would shit the bed on the start five races in a row and never talk about the fact that he just can't get a start to save his life. Now he'll say, well, with a start like that, I deserve to be in fifth place. You know, he's not afraid to state it the way it is, where now is that because he's got a baby and now a second one on the way? Is it because he won the Supercross title? Is it because he's older? I'm sure it's a combination of everything. But at the end of the day, how many teams have brought in you know, I know Daniel Blair has done some TV work with some of the teams, teaching them to get a little bit more comfortable and, you know, little things, if you'll notice, I don't personally care for it, but do you notice how the producers have Ricky Carmichael yelling at the screen? Oh yeah. If you ever listen, Ricky acts like his feet are on fire and he's got to get out of the room quick. If he, but he can't leave the room until he finishes the sentence. You ever notice that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's all coming from TV producers in his ear. You got to be dramatic. You got to be loud. That's why I could not stand Ralph Shaheen. Besides the fact that he would call the riders by a different name and he would call the bikes a different color, that's that's another story for another day. <laughs> but the way that Ralph would scream like the house is on fire when somebody would fall in a corner. Yep. You know, it's it that part of it is what the producers teach. Well, I don't think people understand Daniel Blair. And I can't remember what the other female pit reporter is. Will Christian. What her name is. I can't remember off the top. Will Christian. Thank you, Will. You know, they'll try to banter off of each other, but you got to remember, Daniel and Will have an earpiece. They're doing their best to get more than one-word answers out of the rider. But if they can't get the rider to engage, they're moving on. Yeah. So like I always used to say to AC, you want to be the guy that people want to listen to. Think about how successful Travis Pastrana has been since he retired from racing. Oh, yeah. He's been more successful after 
Why is that? Because he laughs at himself. He's very charismatic. He is obviously not afraid of the camera. He is almost a hand to the camera. And to see that come around with AC, you know, you're seeing that with the, the Lawrence brothers, you know, whether it's Jet on social media. I mean, I don't think it goes without saying, look at, can you imagine the checks that Hunter Lawrence, excuse me, Jet Lawrence has cashed this year? Oh, man. Red Bull, Alpine Star, Honda, and spent some lucrative deals. That dude, that dude's probably making close to the amount, same amount of money as these top level 450 guys. A hundred percent, one hundred percent. But I don't want to sound condescending. It's not only because he's good on a dirt bike. That's what I need the young listeners. That's what I say to these young kids on this team. Yep. That's what you have to understand. Now, don't get me wrong. We're going to bring some riders on the on the show throughout the year. We've got some top vet guys. We've got you know I've got the whole gambit. But the key is, is I try to get these young riders, 65, 85, 125 riders, I try to get them to understand it's not just about winning races. Travis Pastrana, you know, Lawrence Brothers. It's because they have a, a diversified vocabulary. They actually answer the question. They, they laugh, they cry, they show emotion. Very much so like Jeremy McGrath would do. Very much so like Jeff Emig would do. You know, Jeff Stanton was a little little stoic throughout the season, but Jeff Stanton was not afraid to show emotion when he finally wrapped up that championship. Mm-hmm. You know, like coming against all the odds is what it's all about. I mean, look at Jeff Ward. I mean, look at how short Jeff Ward is, but he won a 500 championship. Yep. So you can't imagine the amount of work that he had to put in to overcome the strength deficit. He obviously couldn't make himself taller, but he still dominated on a 500. I mean, how many guys have Wardy's credentials? 125, 250, 500, motocross designations, supermoto, uh, Indy 500, third. <laughs> but we, we don't know all of the emotion that goes into being told you're too small, being told you're not strong enough, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But yet he's a legend in the sport. That's what I want these kids to understand is it's not just about being fast on a dirt bike. That's one of the things that I think these facilities are doing a disservice to these young kids is they, they take them away from a public school system. They give them this false sense of empowerment that because they're fast on a dirt bike, they're somebody bigger than they really are. Mm-hmm. But let's face it. These kids leave a facility. They go right to a motocross track where they are a somebody. And then they leave the motocross track and go right back to the facility. But then it rains and they can't open up an umbrella and walk at the same time. Yeah. And, and that's not, that's not just facility kids. That's snowflakes that live at a facility. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're doubly screwed at that point. Yep. Yeah. And that's I'm, why I like, I mean, it goes both ways. Yeah. And it's, and you're absolutely correct as these kids stay at these facilities and they are the center of the universe, they think. And then they come out in the real world and all of a sudden realize, oh crap, I'm, I'm not the center of the universe. Like <laughs> there's not many people that know yep. that I ride a dirt bike. I mean, you're not, you're not you know, the rock or, you know, Madonna or whatever, you know, any name, any of these celebrities that are international across a gazillion people, you're not them. You're, you're a dirt bike rider. So you need to make yourself somewhat like them where you can go across a vast array of people. Because I mean, you and I have talked about this a little bit off the, uh, off the podcast about the um, like the social media side of things nowadays and everything like that and how these kids, I mean, you just said it, they, 
the the riding and racing is a part of what you have to do nowadays, but there is so much more to it that will help your longevity, not only in the sport, but in life period to where you can actually make money even when you're not racing a dirt bike at a professional level anymore. So the fact that you're well, teaching these you kids the and helping that. them with that, is, I think is a great thing. Well, I, I appreciate it. And, and by no means are we talking about it tonight to make the conversation about myself. It's about, I saw a need. Um, and again, I, I'm showing my age here, but, you know, being in this sport since 1978, we are the only sport that does not have a true junior development program. So when I started the team idea in 2008, I'm like, my brother was a professional baseball player right out of high school. You know, and you go to single A, double A, triple A majors, and you look at these kids, where where do they grow up? Where do they really learn the truth about fitness and nutrition and sports psychology and injury prevention? And, and we kind of get that momentum going, but then we don't get their mental muscle to kind of strengthen on par with their physical. And then we get the two together, and then we trust them in front of a, new, a, a magazine or a television or a TV camera or uh, a regular camera or now video cameras for social media. And nobody really wants to hear them talk because they use monosyllables. They don't talk in complete sentences. They use the word, you know, um, huh, right. You know, um, right. And so what are they, what are the videos? What did most of the videos consist of now? It's music and action. Yep. Where if you look at if you look at uh, Krusty Demons, how much time was interviewing Emig and Buddy Antonez and all those Hellraisers at the time? Mm -hmm. They were a personality. Yep, they were a personality that. And you and I know this, but a lot of people don't. Jeff Emig was born with a speech impediment. Uh huh. Yamaha sent him to speech school so he could literally complete a sentence without stuttering. Mm hmm. And and then to see him become a TV commentator. Yep. I mean, that gives me goosebumps. That gives me absolute goosebumps. And look at Jeff. And I love Jeff. Jeff's a great, great guy. Okay. But his racing career is not what's kept him at the forefront. What's kept him at the forefront is marketability, whether it's his lifetime relationship with Shift and Fox, whether it's with his grip company, whether it's, I think he's a, a pro, what is he, an ambassador for Husqvarna, but before that, forever with Cowie. Yep. It's not about whether he won races. It was because of his marketability. And until our young kids, I said this a little bit earlier, but the, the team model that we're putting together, we are going to be 100% funded outside of the sport of motocross. 100% funded outside of the sport of motocross. My riders will get a three-year deal. Forget the shit of, have, like you said earlier, they get one chance and then they're clipped. Mm -hmm. We're going to give them a three-year deal guaranteed salary we're going to have a backup player we will always have a backup player for each one of our key riders so in case our key rider gets hurt we've got a backup rider so our sponsors are guaranteed representation mm -hmm. and we're going to have a phenomenal hospitality area now i hope you do what because i, I will be camping ride, out in that just an fyi when i come to the races i'm going to be camping right. there so Hope you're ready. <laughs> We're ready. We'll have a big, well, and I don't mind saying this, but we've already got the 18 wheeler. We already have the truck driver. We already have the team mechanics. So that 
sides already in place, but their salaries are not dependent on whether or not an OEM sends us the money. We don't have to worry about if an OEM is going, remember when James Stewart signed with Suzuki and it completely cannibalized the amateur development program for Suzuki? Oh yeah. Overnight. Oh yeah. That right. salary had to come we're from somewhere. Immune- <laughs> yeah. Well, but we're going to make ourselves immune to that. So I can promise two primary riders, two secondary riders that, and our hospitality area is not a bunch of prima donna. It absolutely disgusts me that we go to a pro supercross race and you get handed out X amount of tickets and that's all the autographs that they're going to do. Are you freaking kidding me? For a little kid that's waited all year for you to come to town and he can't get a ticket, just get an autograph for his favorite rider that's buying every merchandise piece that you make. Yep. How disrespectful is that? Our sport is, is so, our sport is so arrogant amongst itself So what I'm looking to do is the riders that we are developing are the ones that now Travis comes on as a corporate sponsor. We come to his town. Now Travis brings in five of his biggest clients and we get to sit and have a nice catered meal. Your top five clients can sit and engage with my riders because if my riders are too cool, they're fired immediately. I need them to sit down and talk to Travis's top five clients about, hey, tell me about your business. Hey, does your family ride? Hey, what do you do when you're not at work? That's what my riders are going to talk to your clients about. Because mm-hmm. in all truthfulness, your clients could give a rat ass whether or not my rider wins tonight. Oh, no, 100%. What they're they're going to go there and they're going to watch the race. Is, and now they have someone to watch, whether they're a Supercross fan or not. If they're like, you know what, the dirt yeah. bike thing, it's all right. It's something to do. It's cool. But as soon as you have someone that you have had a conversation with to watch, completely different. Completely different. That's exactly it. And and that's the part that just blows my mind. Hospitality is for you to come give your top five clients an experience that they'll go home and talk about. That's what hospitality is about. Yep. Not coming into a rig and the rider sits in the rider's lounge and only comes out for the 31 minutes that he's contracted to do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That doesn't retain sponsors. A sponsor needs to pay, stay and refer. Yep. So until people get that understood, my riders need to know that if they do a good job entertaining Travis's five clients, that there's a better chance that Travis is going to pay, stay and refer. And until that's understood by the rider, it's never going to flourish. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm practicing with my riders. That's why I, I appreciate you letting Everett come on. So I appreciate you allowing Zayden to come on. That is the future of my pro team. Not whether or not we win races. I'm going to build athletes that are durable. I'm going to build athletes that can go the distance. We're going to have athletes that don't have to wonder if they have one bad race, they're going to get clipped. The idea is, Racing involves injuries. Racing involves shit happens. But what it needs to include, if we're going to put a, tr- uh, a team together trackside, is that that group of riders, that entire team, mechanics, truck drivers, chefs, everybody needs to know that those corporate sponsors are there for the hospitality and the entertainment factor. Once that's understood, now you've got corporate hospitality at a supercross or a motocross race that will flourish, that will grow. 
There's no other way around it. Yep, 100%. And getting back to the... Just, you know what I mean? Yeah, and just getting back to your your comment there on, on the arrogance in the industry and stuff... I have been under a couple of tents. I've had some VIP passes here and there to um, to be under tents, yeah. okay? And it's super awkward when you get a VIP pass, you go into this hospitality area for, say, factory Honda, and you're like an outsider, like, what am I doing here? And yep. the riders don't acknowledge you. Most of the people don't acknowledge. It's, it's super weird and awkward. Now, I will give you a prime example of non-arrogance in the industry, and this is going to once again sound like I'm blowing them, but you have the Lawrence brothers, okay? So not last year, 2019, we're at Redbud for the national, right? We've got pit passes for all day. We're in the pits after the race. Hunter Lawrence comes out of the Honda truck and we're standing in the middle of the walkway and I'm like oh hey Hunter Lawrence is over there and my girlfriend's like oh man well like go talk to him or something and I don't fanboy well so I'm just like ah nah I'm okay she's like well fine I'll go do it so she walks over there right she has a Hunter Lawrence um little poster card thing they give out there right that she found on the ground okay it's not in great shape whatever (laughs) she walks over to him mind you it's it's late too. We've been in the pits for a while now after these guys have raced two thirty plus twos. Um, and she says, Hey, my boyfriend's got a podcast. Like, is there any way you could sign this for him? And he takes it from her and he's like, Oh crap, let me get a marker. Hold on. Gets a marker. Um, his chick is standing there with their dog. Like they're getting ready to leave. Right. And he, ta- and he looks at the thing and he go and he throws it down and he goes, hold on, let me find you a better one. Goes back in the damn truck pulls out brand new mint Hunter Lawrence poster, signs it for her, gives it to her, sends her on her way, whatever. Super nice to her. I mean, just a stand-up dude. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff we need in the industry. Because, I mean, like I said, end of the day at Red Buddy, just raced two races. It was hot. And yet, here he is. He's still this random girl comes up. Hey, can you sign this for my boyfriend? And he's like, hold on, I'll get a better one and does it like you just you can't teach that. kind. Well, you try to, but it doesn't always work type deal. So. um, So, yeah. Well, and what's so amazing, what's so amazing to me and and Michaela and I talk about this all the time. My wife, when we went to Australia, it didn't matter if we were working. They call them nippers over there. It didn't matter if we were working with a nipper. And I don't know if people realize this or not, but we work with Todd Waters over there in Australia. Yep. It didn't matter if we were working with Todd or whether we were working with a nipper. Every single presentation that we gave, people listened, they took notes, they asked questions, they engaged. You come to the United States and our kids, and I hate to say it, a lot of the parents, they freaking think they know everything. Their answer is, I'll spend money on a stiffer set of suspension and a faster motor. Mm-hmm. And what, and it's not, and, and it's always interesting to me because people will say, well, you're on, you're on a platform because that's, that's what you do for a living. No, that's not why I'm on a platform. The genesis behind my amateur development program was because there was a need. Our sport has a high attrition rate because of the lack of durability, whether it's through injuries or burnout. Well, what are we doing about it? We all sit and talk about it. I would rather be the person that says, all right, what do we need to do? You know, we spend a couple hundred thousand dollars a year on the team. I'm not throwing a number out there like we're bigger than everybody else. Yep. All I'm saying is you got to put money into it 
for there to be any kind of movement in the needle. Mm-hmm. Well, I can do this with product. I can do this with I, with our team. We do a weekly call every week. My athletes can call me, text me, email me as much as they want. But we do a team call just like a factory team. It's uh, I own three teams. I own two of them in the United States. One is on Tuesday night. One's on Thursday night. And I own a team in New Zealand and Australia, and we're getting ready to open one in the UK. Well, Australia is every Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. Eastern time. And you know what? Every single week when I call, it's 5 in the morning my time, Eastern time, and it is 9 p.m. over there. And on a 20-man roster, every single week, at least 15 of them are on the call. That's awesome. Now, as you talk about, how many crows would go do what the Lawrence brothers did for your girlfriend to get that poster? Most of them are like, Oh, you don't have a ticket. Can't help you. Or act like you, and I'm not, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I've seen it firsthand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, if you don't have a ticket, you're not getting an autograph. And here's a little dude sitting there with the rider's little motorcycle cast iron with his t-shirt, with his hat. And all he wants is a signature. Yep. An autograph. And yet we're too cool for school. And yet, remember the one year Travis Pastrana came to Daytona? He was in the Cernix little fifth wheel trailer. He was sitting in the parking lot. The entire Daytona, all of the other factory rigs were on the road to Atlanta, gone. The only truck sitting in the pits was Travis Pastrana. They had floodlights, and there had to have been 500 people around his truck. (laughs) Sounds about right. And he sat there. He sat there until everyone got an autograph. Yep. That's why Travis Pastrana is a multimillionaire and he's a household brand yep. and you can find him in Target. It doesn't accidentally happen. Not at all. Not at all. So, all right, coach. Well, I think we should take another uh, quick break here and we will get uh, Zayden up on the line here and get talking to him. Okay. Sounds good. All righty. All right, everyone. And now we are back with another uh should we call it amateur phenom rider here? Uh, we've got Zayden Mason on the line. Zayden, what's up, man? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Did uh, so it's it's riding season now, pretty much where I am here in Michigan. Where uh, let's let's start off with the basics. Where are you from? What do you ride? Uh, you know how how old are you? That kind of stuff. Let's just start with all that basic stuff. Just give us your superhero kind of background story here. Okay, well, I live in Hazleton, Indiana, which you probably don't know where that is. It's at the southern tip of Indiana Okay. by uh, Evansville. I know where that's at. I know where that's at, yes. (laughs) Yeah, we're pretty close there. Okay. And um, I'm 14, and I am racing Super Minis this year. Okay. Are you doing any other classes, or are you just Super Minis? Uh, Super Mini 1 and 2. Okay. Okay, cool. Is this your first year on Super Mini, or have you been on the Super Minis now for a year or two already? Uh, no, this is my first year on Super Mini. I raced a little bit of Super Minis at the end of the year last year. Okay. But this is my first big year on Super Minis. Okay, cool, man. Now, I know qualifiers have already started. Have you uh, Have you been to one or two already? Yeah, I went to the Echo Valley and the Lincoln Trail qualifiers so far. Okay, and how'd you do? We get in, or what are we talking here? Uh, yeah, I got a uh, sixth on Saturday on Super Mini One. It was not the best day for me, and then on uh, 
well, this is at Echo. And then on uh, Sunday at Echo, I got third. Okay. And then at Lincoln Trail, I didn't do the best on Saturday again. And I got, I think, fifth. And then on Sunday, I won in Super Mini 2. Okay, cool. So you're so you're in for both classes then at this point, or at least on to regionals. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. All right, cool, man. We're planning on doing... Yeah, we're planning on doing one more qualifier at High Point. Okay, okay. So, because, yeah, because Lincoln, is Lincoln Trail, like, what do they call that? That's not, is that a mid Midwest, Mid-East or something like that? Is that the uh, region it's it in? It is. Uh, I don't know. It's okay if you don't know, man. Uh, I'm not the best with that stuff either, so <laughs> it's it's all right. And yeah. Then, and then High Point, I think, is a different, a different area, though, right? Or different regional? Yeah, that okay. one. High point, high point goes to Pleasure Valley. Okay. Okay. Cool, man. Awesome. Um, so what did you, so what did you primarily race last year then? Cause you said you were just started super mini at the end of the year. So what was your main yeah. focus for a class last year? Last year I rode a mini senior one and two. Okay. Okay. Cool. And you went, I, went to I Loretta's raced, for those? Yeah. I raced. Yeah. And how did you do? I could I could still race uh, Mini Senior 1 and 2 this year, but we decided to move up to Super Minis because I'm getting pretty tall. (laughs) Yeah, that that happens at your age, man. Yeah. So um, so how did you do last year at Loretta's then? Well, uh, right before Loretta's, I actually broke my hand. Oh, no. uh, yeah, I actually got to ride like twice before Loretta's, so I didn't do too good there. I got 17th in Mini Senior 2 and 24th in Mini Senior 1. All right. Well, hey, man, you <laughs> you made it and you finished, so that's that's an accomplishment in and yeah. of itself. So that's awesome um when uh when did you when did you start riding like how old were you what was your first bike uh, what, what was that deal yeah when i was five my uh parents trained a horse for these people and they actually had a 50 a little honda 50 and uh they so my mom her brother used to race when uh she was younger Okay. And my mom knew like the injuries and everything that came with it. So she's kind of on the edge about it, but my dad was all for it. So we ended up trading for that, uh, Honda 50. And this was when I was five. So I got, after that, I rode that for a couple weeks and we got a, uh, KTM 50 mini adventure. It was a blast to have that. And, uh, watched that year and i said dad i think that's what i want to do next year (laughs) so we got it we got a little cobra 50 junior and i went through the qualifiers and everything somehow made it but yeah that was a fun year that's awesome do uh so you didn't start racing then till you got your cobra or were you doing like some local races before you got that Uh oh I actually did one race on my uh, 50 uh, mini adventure at uh, the fair. Like, yes. we have a little fair close to us. Yes. I actually got the whole shot on that one. That's, that's a, awesome. That's a good memory right there. <laughs> yes, that is awesome. Do you, uh, do you remember your first win? What was that like? 
Oh, no, I don't really remember that. Oh man. But I do remember I do remember at that fair race I was leading the whole thing and I went down to the last corner and it was <laughs> oh. a heartbreaking moment. <laughs> oh man, that would be terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. So um where uh, oh go ahead, man. Uh, that was just uh, fine. Okay. All right. Um. So, where do you uh where do you normally practice? Do you guys have some land? Do you uh do you have a practice track somewhere close at like a buddy's house or something? Is there a local track that's yeah, open multiple uh, days? Uh huh. Well, we usually train at my house, which I have two tracks, which I have a big track out in the back. And I usually try to stay on that one if I can, but our dirt's real dry most of the time. So uh, we have a uh, oh, a woods track that we ride if it's really dry out. Okay. And then uh, there's actually a training facility, SSR, and uh, okay. it's like two hours from us. So we'll go there sometimes. We try, to, We try to get there once a week if we can. Okay. All right. That's cool. Now, with being in, uh, with being in, I guess, southern Indiana, do you guys come up to the Redbud National when it's here? Oh yeah, I love Redbud. Redbud's my favorite track. Nice. Yes, me too. Me too. So, and you're oh, you're big Redbud's enough now, you can sweet. do the big track too instead of just having to do oh, the yeah. kids track. Uh huh. That's Redbud's awesome. Redbud's awesome. Have you uh, have you done the night races at Redbud on Friday and Saturday night? No, I. I I definitely want to try that at some point. That looks like, like a little sketchy, <laughs> but it's a good time. They did actually, um, oh shoot, how many years ago was it? Like five years ago, they did a night track series. Usually, they only do that during the um, during the national weekend. Uh, but they did like yeah. they did like a four or five week night track series where we raced Saturday night, and it was super weird because oh. like all, most of the tracks around here oh. are just normal. We go in the morning and you know you race all day, whatever. That was super weird because yeah. it was like I didn't have to be there till five to even register, and then we didn't start practice till I think oh. like six, and then you raced after yeah. that. So it was super duper weird, but um, but cool. Yeah, I, so weird. it was awesome because I could say I rode that track without all the craziness around it. Because as I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you're aware. Now National weekend is wild up there. Oh yeah, it's it's crazy. So many people. Oh yeah. Especially at Red Bud. Red Bud's such a popular track. It is. Oh yeah, Iron Man's actually not too far from us. We only live about two hours from Iron Man. Nice, nice. So do you go there um on national weekend? Uh not usually we try to, but just depends. We like to go to the GNCC there. Okay. The GNCC there is, yeah, it's really nice. Uh, that's like the only GNCC that I've ever run, but it's really fun just to go and hit, say you did it. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually um, looking at doing some uh, some sprint enduros this year because I'm, I'm like, eh, I could do something of the sort. I don't really want to go full-blown yeah. GNCC or full-blown enduro racing, uh-huh. but the sprint enduros, that seems all right to me. What is it? What's it like yeah. racing a GNCC race? <laughs> oh, it, it's so much different than motocross. It's it's really fun. Like I just try. I'm not really like super competitive in the woods. Like it's it's just a blast to do. It's really fun. Like you wake up at six o'clock, sun comes up, and you're already out there riding. It's it's. It's an experience, definitely. <laughs> well, sweet man, I'll have to I'll have to give it a shot. Like I said, with some of these sprint enduros, 
because yeah, I de- I need to yeah. I need to broaden my horizons. We'll say I've only done the moto thing. So, um, uh-huh. so what uh, what kind of bike are you riding right now? Uh, I ride a KTM. Okay, okay, Orange Brigade, awesome, awesome. Um, oh yeah. Uh, do you do any of the pit bike stuff? Uh, not really. I have a pit bike, but I don't really race it. Just bomb around the yard and the pits on it. Oh yeah. What uh? Practice what... my wheeling. Oh, <laughs> uh, I have a Honda ones in. Those things are sweet. Yes, yes. Hey, I, I like it. If Both you, you guys have had one... on. What? Oh yeah. If you can find one, it's a steal for those things. Yes, I got lucky last year. I bought one um, at the dealership that's five minutes from my house. They got like two in, and one oh. of the kids that worked there was supposed Ooh. to get one, and he didn't end up bringing his money. So I walked in, was like, "Hey, I need oh, one ten. Yeah. They're like, "All right, here you go." I was like, that "Sick." <laughs> so yeah, no, the that's Hondas awesome. are the best. Don't ever let anyone talk you into those Kawasaki 110s. Those things are junk. I know. <laughs> I know. I used to have a Kawasaki, and I got my Honda, and the brakes and everything are just so much better. Oh, I yeah. love it. There's a there's a 15 year old kid down the road that rides too, and uh, he's got a he's got a Kawasaki, and me and him go back and forth all the time about which one is better. And I'm just like, no, bro, your yeah. your Kawasaki's got nothing on my Honda. This Honda will run forever. Oh no. So. Oh yeah. Um, so what are you, uh, I know everything's kind of weird right now because of COVID normally for school, what do you go to a public school? Are you homeschooled? I know right now you're probably some sort Uh, of hybrid or homeschooled, whatever, but. Um, yeah, actually I go to this thing called Indiana Ag and Tech and it's, it's called blended. You basically go once every week or every other week to a set location that they have it's called the farm and you learn about like agriculture and all that it's pretty nice you do all of your homework on the computer virtually but you just go there once a week now so that's even in non-weird covid times that's what you would do yeah that's awesome uh-huh. it, yeah they don't really care about covid that much you stop <laughs> wear your mask yeah in indiana is much better than michigan for that kind of stuff but we won't we won't get into all that but having been down to the indy supercross it's much better down there so um oh yeah well that's cool man because that gives you a lot of flexibility then to uh to be out Uh riding and get your practicing in and obviously traveling for the races so um do you guys primarily oh go ahead yeah i got a little chromebook that i take with me if we're going to races i can still do my homework on the way at the races and all that cool now are you guys road warriors do you guys drive everywhere or oh yeah okay all right you guys we live so far from like any national track it's kind of it gets kind of annoying that's oh no we have a motorhome that we usually take but if it's like a local race then we'll we have a uh toy hauler that we pull behind okay cool but if we're going like a big race, then we'll pull the toy hauler behind the motorhome. <laughs> it's a long rig, but oh. it's, it's really nice. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, um, what yeah. is your uh, uh, what do you what do you do? I guess for practice normally, like, do you just practice? Do you guys do local races a lot? How does that work? 
Um, we actually have a series that we run around here called uh, Mid American Dirt. Okay. And every month they have a race, which we hit all those, tried to at least. But uh, we try to hit like qualifier practices at qualifiers, get the pace down and make sure that we're on pace for it and everything. Okay. Okay, cool. Do you and, guys do you guys travel out yeah. west to, to ride a lot to do some of those races? Or? Uh, not really. Mostly just south. Okay. We try to go down south every winter and uh, go to like the Coach Rob camps and all that. Okay. Okay. So, uh, do you, uh, did you do the, uh, Texas spring races, either spring of ding or the, uh, Stewart nationals? No, we, uh, we didn't hit those. Usually the early ones we don't hit because like here, the weather stinks throughout the winter Yep. and I can never ride because <laughs> the snow is so we usually try to go for the okay. because i'm not really on pace yet okay okay well hey man it's awesome whatever you're getting to do is awesome so because trust me when i was your age i wasn't yeah. allowed to have dirt bikes so um <laughs> all of oh, these all these kids including my own i'm like you guys don't realize how lucky you are my day i watched it on yeah. tv and that was all i could do mom said no dirt bikes so uh-huh. um yeah man yeah so, so that's cool. So how big is the uh, how big is the track at your house then? Because I know you said you have a woods loop, but you also uh, have a big track. Is it like a full blown yeah. like minute and a half, two yeah, minute lap? Uh huh. It's a minute and forty one seconds is my fastest lap on it. It has some pretty big jumps. We have, you know, the rip off Ten Commandments. We call them the Seven Doors. <laughs> that's <Gotta> awesome. <laughs> that is. Awesome. Does your dad um, does your dad maintain the track and everything for you then? Yeah, usually doesn't do much with it. Just preps the faces and stuff. Got those rain ruts in it. Hey, that's helps, okay. Helps with character. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So, uh, what is your what is your favorite track to go to to ride? Like as far as like actual motocross track, or I guess even if there's a uh-huh. backyard track somewhere that you guys really like. Yeah. Oh, I give that to Redbud. Redbud is my all-time favorite track. I love Redbud. All right. Redbud is sick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm liking the words that are coming out of your mouth, man. Um, Okay. Oh, yeah. Couple. um, Oh, hold on just a second. Having an error here. Just a second. Let me. What the heck's going on here? All right, so we're back. Technical difficulty, hopefully fixed here, and hopefully we didn't erase the whole first part of the interview here. So, um, couple last questions for you here. What was your last big win race-wise? Big win? Uh, probably the last big win was that qualifier. Okay. I, I haven't really won any big nationals yet. Hopefully this year's the year. I've been working real hard throughout the year, doing my workouts, all that. I'll talk to Coach Rob about that later, and we'll find out the real story. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay, couple couple rapid-fire questions. Do you prefer cake or pie? Uh, cake. Okay, that's good, my man. Uh, who is your favorite superhero? Oh, uh, man. Probably the Flash. 
Really? Super fast. That is Super not fast. one I was expecting. <laughs> There's a lot of things you could have said. The Flash was not what I was expecting, but that's a great answer, oh. man. Yeah, I like Flash. He's pretty cool. All right, all right. I like that character. Cool, man. Um, okay, well, that's pretty much all I have. We've taken up some of your time here, and uh, like I said, hopefully that doesn't get screwed up, but if it was jacked up for some reason, I will get you back on this week in one of our other shows the 67 of them have to record so no big deal man these residencies with these pro races are awesome but having to record a wrap-up show for everyone we do a we play uh fantasy supercross on pulp mx so we do a show for that too it turns into i do six or seven shows per week when we have these so it schedules on on my own stuff so um but before we let you go uh, give a shout out to uh, some of the sponsors and people that help you out, man. Okay. Well, I would like to shout out Moto E first. Coach Rob, you're okay. awesome. Yo, what is up, everyone? Just popping in here. As you could kind of tell, we were having some technical difficulty last night towards the end of Zayden's interview. As you could tell, it was kind of cutting out. And I was like, oh, shit, we got to stop and everything else in between. Uh, so right before it cut out there at the end, he was just getting into his sponsors, which, of course... We didn't get any of, but, uh, you know, I want to thank him for coming on the show and I want to show him and his sponsors some love. Um, so that way he's, uh, you know, doing what he needs to do for the riders. So anyway, so I'm just going to read off his list of sponsors here so that that way, uh, they're out there and y'all can go check them out, help them support them so that they can support him. Uh, so he wants to thank, uh, Moto E big St. Charles, which is a dealership down like the St. Louis area. I've been to that actually. Uh, EVS, Fly Racing, Mika Metals, Factory Connection, SSR Training Facility, and Nilo Concepts there. So thanks to all of them uh, for backing Zade in there. And uh, we will uh, we will definitely, like I said, have him on again. Again, sorry for the technical difficulties, but shit happens. So anyway, now back to the end of the show of me and Coach Rob uh, wrapping this up. Yes, sir. Okay, new memory card. We'll see how this works now. <laughs> you have my respect, man. IT stuff drives me out of my mind. I have zero patience for it. Dude, I just I have no idea. So like the the thing is so simple. It is a literally a little square box that you can adjust the outputs for the headphones and the microphones that plug in. And other than that, all you do is put the memory card in and hit record. It's that simple. And if we have had zero issues since I bought this thing, however many weeks ago, I guess you'd call it now, months ago, whatever. Yep. And I mean, you know, we've, heck, we've had you on since I've had this and uh, it, we've recorded three hour podcast plus, you know, the fantasy show I do is 30 minutes and I've had zero issues. Sure. And then all of a sudden we get to the end here of Zayden's interview and it's telling me card error or write error every time. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell's going on? So... Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. <sighs> Technology is yep. awesome. You have my respect, brother. Uh, well, yeah. Exactly. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm I'm terrible at it, and I have a kid that's really awesome at it. The problem is he's 15, and so he uh, obviously cannot drive yet, so he can't get here all the time to do videos and everything else for me. So it's like, ah, uh, gotcha. when do he turn 16? He's like, oh, June 1st. I'm like, God, great. Hurry up, man, because I need I need you in my yeah. life here because I am terrible at this stuff. So, <laughs> um, man, 
couple of great interviews we had there, man. A couple of great kids you got going on the team. So, nah, I appreciate it very much. It's just like we were saying in between the shows or between the writers. You know, I mean, they've done a good job, and not to be confusing whatsoever. When I first started it, I I did not want to create a dream team. I didn't want to be accused of just pen picking the best of the best. But last year alone, we had three thousand revenue. Uh, excuse me, three thousand resumes for twenty spots. Holy smokes! That's how many resumes came in. So we know that there's a demand for the service. They want the knowledge. So then we thought to ourselves, okay, well, I can still continue to go out when I visit the the different nationals. I'm always looking for those kids outside the top 10. But then when we look at selecting a team, because I have a co-factory team, I have a full factory team, and then we have, yeah, I call it my bad news bears, the kids that are just on a, a tight budget. Yep. But you, you could hear Zayden's enthusiasm in his voice. He's so pumped just to ride his pit bike. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So it's just refreshing to have somebody like that that really gets into it, somebody that appreciates an opportunity. So we not not to bore you or the listeners or anybody else, but there's always an ongoing evolution. We have the people that we're looking for outside the top 10. We're soliciting and trying to grow the brand with a factory, a co-factory. And then I've got a team, like I said here, I've got three teams here in the States. Actually, two. I've got a co-factory and a, and a factory team. Are, are we recording? Yeah, yeah, we're going. We're good. Okay. Sorry about that. I should have checked with you. No, that's okay. So I just fired it up as soon as we started, and I'm like, well, we'll see what happens here. So, There you go. Well, the, the whole idea behind having the three teams like that is we've got to try to have a situation where we can be able to start to make a difference from an organic level, a local level, take it up to the elite level, and then take it all the way to the pro level. And that's what the vision has been. That's what the dream has been. But as we continue to grow the amateur development program, we thought to ourselves, well, why not build a dream team? You know what I mean? Yep. It's, it's those types of dream teams that allows us to give back to the sponsors that we have. And, you know, we've been very, very fortunate over the years when we, when we look at the sponsors that we have. It's, it's one of those things where we start out just reaching out to people and it was like, yeah, that's a cool idea. You know, we'll give you 10% off or we'll give you 30% off. And now we very fortunate where as we look at the development of the teams, we have the ability to bring to the sponsors that went out on a limb when we weren't really anything but a concept. Now we've got literally Loretta Lynn's championship capable riders on the program. So, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you look at like Dave mentioning Greg links, you know, Greg links has built all of our Q stroke motors since day one, uh, Sierra Yoho with AMY performance. They do all of our four stroke motors and then Clover Hill does all of our suspension. So at, even though we're an amateur team, we're able to go to the races and we've got trackside support with suspension. Rob Fox with Dunlop helps us out. Obviously we've got motor builders trackside. I don't know if you've ever been to Loretta's, but a lot of times people will go and spend a boatload of money on a brand new bike. The frame's hyper stiff. The suspension's <laughs> super stiff. The motor's, you know, 20% more horsepower than their practice bike. And then they go out and get beat down by the bike. They have a really bad week at Loretta's. And then, of course, it's the suspension's fault, the motor's fault, everybody's fault but the rider. 
And so we just try to treat our amateur development program like a factory team. Mm-hmm. You know, we do test sessions, we do workshops and camps together. Uh, we try to shake the bikes down. Uh, we have great relationships with A and Y and Greg Links. We rotate our motors on a certain cadence. We have the suspension at Clover Hill. We have that, you know, maintained and updated. I always, it's what we call performance parity. I'm always trying to tighten the gap between what the riders practice with and what they race with. I try to create parity with the way their body performs in training and the way that they perform in racing. And then if I can create longevity and you do that by minimizing injuries and reducing the risk of injury, or excuse me, illness. Then when I go and I talk to corporate partners, I can show the riders longevity. I can show their durability. And let's face it, you know, if you're going to invest money into a program you want to have representation mm-hmm. and uh, we actually are, are getting ready to launch a coaching certification program where we will put coaches out there that if Travis were to hire a Moto E coach, if you ever get diagnosed with Epstein-Barr or chronic fatigue or any kind of health related issues associated with what we're responsible, we will give you 100% of your money back. Hmm. So we have some checks and balances. We're going to be launching some of that information towards the end of the year but the point is is we need a team that can go out to represent the partners but we need to have the partners have representation and you do that by building durable athletes so i hope that makes sense to the listeners and and i hope that they can see these young riders they they're doing a better job of being able to articulate their thoughts and be able to answer your questions especially when they don't know what questions are even heading their way yeah, no, those those were those are both awesome and way better than than some of the kids. I think a lot of people have probably watched at least some portion of the Loretta Lynn's um, uh, broadcast that they do online. And when you get towards championship time and they put some of these kids on the podium, I mean, some of them, as we talked about Painful. earlier, are just uh, e- yeah, yes, awesome. Uh, like to thank my mom and dad, and I mean. It's just one word answers and it's like, oh gosh, oh boy. Uh, yeah. We didn't have that tonight exactly. with either of these kids. So that was good. Well, in, in when you back up the train a little bit, I'll do like, and I'm not trying to, I hope that this doesn't come across the wrong way, but I have all my athletes on my, in my phone. And if I'm driving somewhere, I will call up any of my riders and I will say, you know, they'll pick it up and they'll be like, hey, Coach Rob. And I'm like, hey, uh, this is Daniel Blair from Main Event Moto. I have <laughs> a couple questions for you. And I'll just start asking them questions. And I love the one that you did with Zayden when you're like, okay, who's your superhero, pie or cake? You know? Yep. I will ask questions that are completely unrelated. Um, you know, what's your what, what do you consider your greatest achievement? You know, how do you want to be remembered? But then I'll go to things like, you know, what's your favorite smell? Uh, you know, what's the, what's the single thing to improve the quality of life, in your opinion? You know, what does love feel like? And I try to get them completely back on their heels because my number one rule with them is, A, listen to the question and answer it. And number two, don't rush to answer the question unless you know the answer because then you're like an idiot. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we constantly try to get them comfortable being uncomfortable. I say to that all the time, say that to them all the time. We expect these young racers to be able to get out front and be able to understand what it feels like to lead a high 
caliber national, but we give them no tools to get acclimated and become familiar with leading a national, but yet we expect them to become professionals, be on TV and do something that they have no experience doing. We set them up for failure, quite honestly. Yep. So the idea is, I say to them all the time, get comfortable leading the race, control the pace, you know, get comfortable. Just, you can ride a wide bike. You don't have to ride dirty. Just take the key line and make everybody else go around you. And we were teasing earlier about Sexton, you know, what's the number one rule we teach all of our young riders never follow. Mm-hmm. And yet you have Sexton running into the back of somebody and blaming the guy that he ran into. That to me is ironic and humorous at the same time. <laughs> so when you, when you, when you take it full circle, I, I use this illustration in my workshops all the time. When a rider, let's say the gate drops, my rider is in fourth place and he's not following. And I teach my riders to take the non-optimum lines. So my rider's out in the marbles and he's having a flat track and two guys pass him and the dad gets mad at him. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You tell him all the time not to follow. Now, had he followed one, two, and three into the inside lane and the first place guy stalls his bike and he collects all three guys, you'd say, why the hell were you following? Yeah. Well, how can it be both? If he didn't follow, it's a bonehead line. But if all three guys stalled on the inside and your rider came out of the marbles and got the lead, it'd be the best, most brilliant move he ever did. Well, how can it be both an, a bonehead move and brilliant at the same time? Well, you base it on the outcome of the result. That's not fair to the rider. Mm-hmm. Just, it just doesn't add up. Well, why would you thrust these kids onto a podium, stick a microphone and a camera in their face, and expect them to be able to actually think on their feet when you haven't trained them to do it? Same thing with leading a race. How can you expect a young rider to go to Loretta's and, and compete three 20-minute motos over five days, two classes, and wonder why they don't get the potential, they don't reach the potential when you have no sweat rate calculator, so you don't know what their perspiration rate is. You don't know what their max and average heart rate at that specific temperature is. So you have these kids racing in low, low ambient temperature environments racing seven and eight minutes they punch the car to loretta's and then they're being asked to race at 100 degrees and 100 percent humidity for 20 minutes and they wonder why they don't perform well well you set your rider up for failure yep it's just it's a very frustrating environment for myself because we we have all these demands and as we teased earlier in the united states the answer is stiffer suspension faster motor and that's not the answer mm-hmm. but because what I do is a little bit different because it's a different, you, you know, uh, the vocabulary is a little bit different. The concepts are not always known. And as you and I teased off the air, there's not a child that's born. There's not a racer that we know that came out of the womb knowing compression and rebound, but they learn it. Yep. But yet if you get into strength and endurance and lactate tolerance and nutrition and hydration, they go, Oh my goodness, that's just, that's too complex. Why says who, you know? So, Always a fun thing, but um, I, I do appreciate, you know, you giving these guys a chance to, to answer some impromptu questions. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's it's always a good time. I enjoy I enjoy doing interviews. I used to um, interview people to hire them for jobs all the time before I went out and started my own thing. And uh, I would do weird questions like that in the interview process, too, where I would ask people, you know, cake or pie, favorite superhero, that kind of stuff. Just off-the-wall stuff you never get in a normal job interview. 
and I'd always get like some of my oh, other wow. assistant managers and stuff that would sit in and be like, why do you ask these questions? And I'm like, look, man, I could sit here and ask people, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to make the workspace better? All the standard BS you get asked in every, in every interview. If I ask them this question, they have to start thinking because all of a sudden it went, oh, crap, this isn't my normal answer. I can't just say like, oh, I want to, you know, come in and I'm a hard worker and I'm going to do my best for you. You know, they have to start actually thinking and it puts people at ease when you ask them questions like that, too, because then then you can start vibing a little bit and it works out nice. So, yeah, just it was a good time. I enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed it. I can't wait to get some more yeah. of, uh, some more of your kids on the on the line here in future episodes and talk to them because the questions will only get better. I'll start writing these down as I'm thinking about it during the day. Like if something will pop in my head and I'll be like, ha ha, there we go. That'll throw a curveball at them. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, not to sound like a textbook cliche, but my, my goal is to build athletes that are durable, as we said, but not just make them fast and, and strong, but give them a chance to better themselves as human beings. And um, I love the sport of moto, but there's a lot that, that's left to be desired. And um, it's kind of like investing the time and the resources into the coaching. And, you know, I'm very fortunate. Like I said, we, we've got some really good partners. 60 helps us out with helmets. Uh, right now we're doing some Moto E custom uh, pants and, and jerseys. We've got Garnet boots. Uh, I'm very pumped on that. And then Scott, uh, we got Primo over at Scott that's helping the team out. And then, you know, my big thing is trying to stay with health-related products. You know, we've got Nutritional Frontiers helps us out with supplements and Energy Fuel does our sports drink. And then we have cool companies like Garmin, PowerDot, and Specialized. And then, like I said to you earlier, you know, when you jump on the bike, I've just been impressed with how many guys have helped us out. You know, you got Toolman Dan over there at DCMX Tools. Uh, Decor Visuals is doing our graphics. Uh, we got this cool new sponsor. He's a small guy. Um, how much fun is it changing a tire? Not at all, is it? No, it's terrible. <laughs> so there's a yeah. So, so there's a good friend of ours, um, Bud Guthrie. He started a company called Pro Buds, which is actually a tire changing paste, and it makes it so much easier. So. He's jumped on board, and then, like, uh, Andy Gregg over at Guts Racing, they help us out with seats and stuff. And like I said to you, you know, we're very fortunate to have motor builders and suspension specialists that allows our riders to rotate, you know, their bikes, the suspension, the motors. We've got great gear sponsors, so the products look fresh. And then Shades of Grey paints our helmets. Joshua Gray does a great job. So every year we've got a unique Moto E helmet. Uh, we try to do two a year. We do one for the, the Nationals, and we try to do a Loretta Lens specific so he he makes us look good on the track that's for darn sure but uh i just want to thank all the sponsors a lot of them came on at the very very beginning when we were nothing more than a concept and i look forward to being able to build not only an amateur program for them but also get a factory team you know a, a full pro team where these guys are making a living and like mike rundle said on gypsy tales it's not a team unless the riders are actually getting paid a salary. And, and I love that comment. I think there's there's so much truth to that. Even though it may seem like a benign comment, I think it's a very good comment. What is it? What other sport has their racers or athletes rather doing their sport for free? There, it's just silly to me. There isn't one. Oh, man. 
yeah, don't get me don't get me off on the tangents like they started going on that gypsy tales because we could go for hours here of me ranting and raving <laughs> about stuff that's right. I mean, hell, you know, I text you as soon as I got done listening to that. I'm like, hey, have you listened to this one? Because it's awesome. And I have so many comments about it because it is just I mean, like you said, you don't go to a baseball game and see you know, the, the backup catcher or like the, the third string pitcher paying to stand there and pitch, he's still getting paid and probably a pretty substantial amount of money since he's in the big leagues. But even when you go to the minor leagues, those guys aren't paying to play on that minor league team. Okay. They're not making a whole lot of money, but they're not paying to play on that team. So no, they, they, they well, at least bare minimum, further. they, they make sure they have housing, food and water so that they can, they can actually play. But, um, but yeah, so this, I mean, there's just so much well, wrong with the sport here and I'm, uh, I'm very happy to hear and interested to talk further with you about the, uh, about the team and, uh, these outside sponsors you're bringing in, because that is something that I think definitely needs to happen with the sport. And the fact that you're moving in that direction, I, I like the concept so far that you're talking about here that you're about to roll out. So uh, it'll be, it'll be good. And like I said, it's it, not to sound, you know, all business oriented, but it's, it's been a long business plan. It was a 20 year plan and um, we're on year 18 of it between building Moto E facilities, Moto E certified coaching, having an amateur development program, having an international development program, and then, having it ultimately culminate with a team, you know, it's, uh, it's coming together and I'm, I'm very thankful for it, but I couldn't do it without good partners and teams. And I know that sounds very podium esque, but <laughs> it's just true. I mean, you know, when you throw out a concept that nobody's done before, it's, it's met with a lot of doubt and a lot of resistance, not because people doubt you, but they know that you're swimming upstream. Um, but I was told by a lot of people that our amateur development program wouldn't work and then when we get 3,000 resumes for 20 spots, I know we're doing something right. Um, we, we're very fortunate. Like when you look at the international market, you know, we work with Alex Snow. He's the five-time Enduro champion. We're working with Mike Witowski. He's the XE2 GNCC pro. Uh, we've got <clears> – <throat> we're very, very fortunate when you kind of bounce around with that. As I alluded to earlier, in Australia, we've got Todd Waters. You know, we've worked with Daniel Sanders when we were there. We just picked up, um, I don't know if you're aware of her or not, but Kirsten Landman, she's from South Africa. She did, she's the first female to ever finish a car. Oh, wow. And uh, we were actually, yeah, we're working with her. We've got some promotions coming up with her as well. So we know our portfolio is big. Um, and it's not about Rob or Moto E or anything else. It's about building champions from, you know, 65s all the way up. But it's trying to get the parents and the, the those that are involved to understand it's a long-term process. It's not a quick fix. And that, that doesn't always bode well with Americans. And it doesn't bode well with young Americans because they're so used to instant gratification, as you can imagine. But the Logan Best of the world that have seen the vision, and they see the process, and now he's reaping big benefits and getting ready to sign a nice contract. You know, that's really what it's all about there's a lot of people that have come and gone through our program and oh, it's too complicated or you didn't push my rider hard enough. That's fine. I'm, I'm not here to convince you of the process and the system. I just know that, you know, we didn't get 250 plus amateur titles and four AMA number one pro plates accidentally. And that's just in the motocross. That doesn't include triathlons or mountain biking and everything else. So I don't want anybody to think I'm being arrogant. I just appreciate those that see there's a process in the system 
first and foremost, and then are willing to lean in on the knowledge. So when that happens, we have a lot of fun with it. Nah, man. If you have a process and a system that you know works, which obviously the number one plates on the door prove it all, uh, much like much like Pro Circuit. I mean, there's always going to be people that uh, that say it doesn't work or you're doing something wrong or whatever, and and you can just point to sure. everything going on around you. I mean, everybody gets. I get it with powder coating. I get people all the time that why would I pay you you know four hundred dollars to coat my set of wheels when Joe Blow over here will do it for two hundred fifty bucks? And it's like, okay, well, look, I'm not. I'm not here to change your mind, okay? <laughs> I'm here to offer right. you a product. I know it's a quality product that will last and hold up and work and everything. If you don't want to accept that and you want to go over here and try your luck with a cheaper price, well, have fun, man. Yep. I uh, I say it all the time. I will not argue price. I've never I've never discounted my prices in um, you know, thirty seven years. I, I've never discounted my prices because we're still growing. We're still investing. Uh, like I said, we've got a process in the system now that I will, I will financially guarantee that nobody will ever be overtrained on our program, mm-hmm. amateur, pro, or anywhere in between. Um, but we also have the checks and balances in a way that it can, the numbers cannot be skewed. And if you're willing to invest in the process and the system, then I'm willing to put 100% lifetime financial guarantee on it. Um, and I don't think anybody will try to match it. I don't think anybody will be able to back it up if they do try to match it where we've got the, the ability to do both. So we're super excited about it. And man, I just can't thank you enough for having us on for three hours. Thank you for giving both Zayden and Everett a chance to tell their story. And as always, man, it's, it's always a privilege and I appreciate the, the time. Well, Hey man, not a problem. Anytime you, you know, you're always welcome on here. Um, I want to thank you for, you know, bringing those guys in to do it. I want to thank you for having you on the show here to uh, bench race with me tonight about Atlanta one. So that way I didn't have to do that by myself since Justin and Cole bailed out like a bunch of losers. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, uh, where, where can they find you your website one more time here? Yeah. If anybody's looking for uh, a coaching program, we have four different levels that are available, and you can find all of that information at CompleteRacingSolutions.com. And if you're on Instagram, you can follow us at Complete Racing Solutions. Happy to answer any kind of questions. And I, I say it every chance I get a chance to be on a podcast, you know, just because you're not a paying client doesn't mean that we won't answer your questions or try to help you, you know, address a frustration. So feel free to... Um, you can DM us on Instagram. I'm not very good on that one, but I try hard. <laughs> the best way is to, to email uh, email my assistant, Jennifer. You can reach her at contact at coachrob.com. And um, I promise I will get back to your questions. I don't have anybody else answering them but myself, mainly because they're so unique. You know, somebody, each person that's listening has a, a different background. Um, the solution may be the same, but everybody's got a different uh, background. If you're dealing with adrenal fatigue or whatever, there may be different reasons why you're in that state, but the way to get out of it is is the same. And I'm, I'm happy to help and get people to understand. I get very frustrated with the, the, the amount of misinformation that's out there. And that's why we even do social media, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, these types of podcasts, my own podcast, our newsletter. 
because uh, I respect and understand that people learn differently. You know, some like to watch it on YouTube, some like to listen to it on a podcast, some want to read it on in an article. Uh, so that's why we do the multi different, you know, modalities of getting the information out there. But as I said in your previous show, and I'll say it again tonight in closing, nobody wants to hear me talk. They want answers to questions and frustrations, and that's what we're here for. But I want to thank all the listeners that stuck with us through this and, you know, leave comments. If you're listening to this on YouTube, please leave comments. I promise I will get back to them. I try to check in on that on a regular basis. And uh, I, I hope to be back on the show more. And I just, I love everything you guys are doing. I love the platform. I love how candid the conversations are. It's, it's very nice. Well, thank you. We, uh, we do the best we can with what we got, man. And we're just uh, rinky dink. Uh, we're, we're a rinky dink podcast here. So we're, yeah, we're just, making things happen as we can so all right man i know you have a i know you have another podcast recording in the early morning here so i will let you go um but we will uh we will definitely talk soon like i said i have i have a bunch of questions for you about your upcoming team here now after the conversation tonight i have so many more questions sounds good good. so all right thanks coach we will talk to you soon bud thanks brother yep talk to you soon peace All right, everyone. So Coach Rob, once again, want to just send a huge thank you to him uh, for once again coming on the show. I want to thank Ever and Zayden for coming on. Again, sorry for the technical difficulties with the Zayden interview. Um, I have obviously just wrapping this up here, so I have no idea how how that recording is going to go, Um, but we will definitely have him back on again. Uh, again, make sure to check out all the sponsors, TLR Coatings, JT Cycles, Dirt Bike Depot, and Premier Custom Trailers. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment down below. Check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you find your podcast, you can find us. Um, we have the Fantasy Podcast. Don't forget about that. Links in the description for all sorts of different stuff. And uh, we will be back... I guess on Wednesday here now uh, to uh, wrap up Atlanta two. I believe we will have the normal crew on the phone and yeah. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everybody next time.